This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Conor McGregor abruptly announces his retirement. That's the world of MMA right now. A very crazy story that came out of left field, but did it. We'll talk a little bit about that. It's going to be just me for today. Joe is coming in tomorrow, so we're going to have another podcast for you that's going to take a look at Anthony Showtime Pettis' crazy knockout uh, from over the weekend of Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, uh, the first time Wonderboy has been finished inside the octagon. And uh, we'll also take a look at Justin Gaethje versus Edson Barboza. Joe is going to fill us in on the different strategies that each guy can employ in order to get that win. But for today, I've got so many interviews that I've been sitting on from this week. Four in-studio guests. We've got... Rory McDonald joining us in studio. A very, very good conversation I had with Rory. Uh, you know, sometimes Rory isn't the most engaging individual with interviews. That was not the case when I spoke to him this week. Uh, very, very revealing interview with uh, Rory McDonald on his mindset and, and how he's changed as a human being uh, that I, I really would recommend you listen to. Um, of course, I recommend you listen to all of the content that is uh, put out here on the TSN MMA show. Uh, and in addition to that, Ally Akinta and Cowboy Cerrone were here. I spoke to both of them individually uh, and, you know, a very casual conversation. I like to pick these guys' brains in this kind of longer form format. I find it a lot less stifling uh, than being on TV, having to hit on certain topics that are, you know, required for news purposes. Whereas in this situation, from a podcasting perspective, I think that we can um, do a little bit more to open, get these guys to open up a bit. And then finally, uh, an interview that's a little bit out of left field for the TSN MMA show. It's Kenny Omega, Omega Man himself. And I'm not a pro wrestling fan. Uh, I don't watch a lot, any pro wrestling, really. Uh, I did watch his matchup against Okada from 2018, and I was uh, amazed by how good it was uh, as somebody who grew up on wrestling. But as I mentioned, I haven't really watched much wrestling since 2003. So when I did this interview, you're going to hear an interview coming from the standpoint of somebody who's been, you know, reporting on MMA, covering MMA, and hearing what Kenny Omega has to say about it in that regard. So I talked to him a little bit about his pro wrestling career, but also about his takes on MMA and his interest in MMA. Uh, and if you don't know that Kenny Omega almost ventured into the world of mixed martial arts, you will learn a lot more about that from this interview. So the, the big news, uh, obviously, this week is that Conor McGregor abruptly announced his retirement on uh, social media uh, I believe it was uh, on Wednesday morning. Sorry, Tuesday morning. Today's Wednesday. Tuesday morning, in the, the early, early morning, late Monday night, whatever you want to call it. And uh, really caught everybody off guard. It was the lead story on SportsCenter. And uh, a lot of information about that is being speculated upon. What Was it a leverage move? And then yesterday in the afternoon, the New York Times puts out an article that uh, Connor is being investigated for an alleged sexual assault. Now, this is where things get interesting because I think a lot of people that cover MMA, including Ariel Hawani, who I spoke to yesterday, were very quick to say that these two things are not related, that one plus one does not equal two here, that the reason for the retirement announcement was strictly based on negotiations. Now, that could be true. That could very well be the case. But when you are uh, an outlet like the New York Times that has a story like this and you are sitting on this story and you have it and you're ready to go with it, a lot of the times, most of the time, you're going to go to that person's team if it's a person of profile and say to them, 
we have the story, we have enough to go on, and we're going with it. And then that, that puts the ball in their court for whatever, 12 hours leading up to uh, the story coming out. So I do not want to rule out the idea that this story was given to Karen Kessler, who's the crisis communications person that, that works with McGregor. You could see her to uh, McGregor's left when he made his statement after his plea deal in the uh, thing that happened last year in April leading up to UFC 233 with the bus. So when you look at those two things crossing over, there's very much a possibility that Karen Kessler went to McGregor and said, we need to find a way to build a diversion, divert from this information that's going to be coming out. And a good way to do that is to announce your retirement because then it becomes a, a note, the story from the New York Times. It becomes a side, a side note. It's not the story. The story is still the retirement. That's the story that's getting, in, in terms of the sports world, which will mostly be covering it from a sports standpoint, and even the news world to an extent, his retirement at age 30, at the top of his game, when he has so much more earning potential, is shocking. Nobody expected that story. Nobody expected him to announce his retirement. If you would have told me Condor's going to announce his retirement, especially with the information that we had on Monday from Dana White, he was on a Barstool Sports uh, podcast called uh, My Mom's Basement. It's a new one with Robbie Fox. I recommend it. It was a good interview. Um, when he was on that particular show, he was talking about Connor, you know, negotiating with Connor for the summer, that they had offered him a co event spot, him and Cowboy Cerrone, for UFC 239, I guess it will be, in July, unless they uh, make up for UFC 233 sometime between then. But most likely UFC 239, that's what it's being called with that Luke Rockhold story with him uh, fighting Jan Blachowicz. And so it looked like they were in, in, in negotiations to bring him back in the summer. And that's what we had. That's what we knew on Monday, you know, before we all went to bed for the night and woke up the next day, unless you're on the West Coast, to the news that Conor McGregor had shockingly announced his retirement on social media. So with all of that information, you can put two and two together and you can say, well, the negotiations weren't going well. Conor's done this before. He did this in 2016. Or you can look at what happened the, you know, just hours later, maybe 12 hours later, the New York Times comes out with a story uh, of a, an alleged uh, sexual assault in Ireland and that, that Conor McGregor's under investigation. No arrests, no charges, nothing like that. But regardless of that, that story's out there. They're naming McGregor. In Ireland, they can't name McGregor because of uh, laws surrounding their legal system in Ireland. If you're unaware, in Ireland, unless somebody is charged with a crime, you cannot name them. You cannot name who is being investigated. But uh, there have been stories surrounding an Irish sports star that have been published in the uh, Irish press. Now, I can't verify that that was Conor McGregor. But if you read the New York Times story and those stories, there, there are similarities. So I'm not pointing any fingers. I don't know anything about you know, what the New York Times is putting out there. But I do know enough about corporate communications and, and crisis communications. Uh, I have a communications degree to know that it is... Certainly a possibility that that contributed to Conor McGregor's uh, announcement. Now, do I think that Conor McGregor will never step foot in, inside an octagon again and, and uh, compete in the UFC? No, I, I think that he will come back. But I do think that uh, by putting that out there, you are able to uh, 
provide a bit of cushion for that other story coming out. And uh, I don't rule out that the two things could be related like a lot of other people are. It could be negotiations. Again, I, I don't know. I don't know 100%. I just know that with the information pr- that's in front of us, that uh, you've got to consider all possibilities. I'll talk a little bit more about uh, this with Joe tomorrow, but just on what Conor McGregor um, has done in this sport and uh, why his career ending at, at age 30 is unlikely. And we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit, uh, as well as any other news that's, uh, that's come up, although that really has been what's dominated the news cycle. Uh, a couple good fights announced. Uh, we are looking ahead to those. We're looking ahead to this weekend with Gaethje and Barboza. So, uh, and Joe and I will give our picks. We're going to do all of the other fu- that other fun stuff tomorrow, the stuff that we normally do on a weekly basis in terms of covering the news angles. Uh, this show in particular from here on out is going to be uh, about the interviews that have been done uh, this week, the ones that I had mentioned off the top, Rory McDonald, Cowboy Cerrone, Ally Akinta, and Kenny Omega. And uh, the reason why Kenny Omega was here is uh, TSN has an Engraved on a Nation documentary, an hour-long documentary on um, Kenny Omega called Omega Man that debuts Wednesday night on TSN. So uh, I urge you to check that out. I watched it and really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, again, I I grew up on pro wrestling. I loved uh, WCW, WWE, uh, back when they had their, you know, the, the Monday Night Wars. I was all about that, but... You know, in, in the last 15 or so years, I haven't watched much wrestling. I, I, of course, do respect each and every one of the people that uh, are in professional wrestling. I think that what they do is uh, very, very dangerous, and they're very, very skilled. And uh, I consider, you know, I got into a debate with a, somebody who I work with here that's a, a big wrestling fan. I said that I consider pro wrestling to be a sport, because even though there are predetermined outcomes, you're still competing to be the best in that particular occupation. And it's an occupation that involves athleticism, that involves technique, that involves all of the other things that sports contain. So I think that professional wrestling should be considered a sport. Because in order to get to the top of it and to have sustained success, you have to work really hard. You have to get over with the fans. All of these are part of that job, and they're all part of that sport and that athletic endeavor. And while it's not necessarily on an individual basis a, a competition because the outcome is predetermined, those outcomes are also determined by that person's value, that person's worth, and that person's uh, stock at that particular time. So I think that writing it off as being fake or being... Uh, you know, choreographed, you can say that there is, uh, there is that element to it. But to call it fake and to say that it's not a sport and that it's just enter- entertainment, I'm okay with sports entertainment. I call, I call the UFC sports entertainment. And that's not to say that I believe that uh, the outcomes are predetermined in the UFC. I don't believe that at all. But what I do believe is that if you're a promotional company like the UFC, your mandate is as much entertainment as it is competition. That's why you see CM Punk in the UFC, and that's not something that I have ever been that opposed to, is a guy like CM Punk competing in the UFC. And I talked to Kenny Omega a bit about that later on. But you still have to look at the fact that it's not always the number one guy going for the title. You know, we saw Dan Henderson versus Michael Bisping. Michael Bisping's first and only title defense, uh, successful title defense, as the middleweight champion. 
there was absolutely no merit to that particular matchup. None whatsoever. It's entertainment. That matchup was for the purpose of entertainment. It's still a competition in and of itself. It's still two guys, you know, any, anyone's game. You saw that Dan Henderson had great success in the first round of that particular matchup. It was actually a pretty close matchup for a title fight. But I think that when you look at the UFC from a promotional standpoint, that there are still a lot of elements to it that focus on entertainment as well as sports. And I think that if you look at the WWE, that's similar too. But I do feel like there's an aspect of of competition that cannot be overlooked in pro wrestling. Now, a lot of people might think I'm insane for having that viewpoint. And uh, even the person that was a big wrestling mark, his name is uh, Steve Argentero, who works here. He actually does a lot of uh, photography for wrestling events on the side. I I would recommend you follow him on Instagram if you're interested in uh, pro wrestling photography. It's at SteveTSM, I believe, on uh, Instagram. But uh, he was he was saying that he doesn't think it is a sport, and he's a, a big wrestling fan. So uh, maybe I am uh, off base on that one. But y- you know, you can touch you know you can uh, touch base with me on social media if you feel that way. And I completely understand if you feel that way. And this is uh, not a world of of concretes. This is a world of gray. It's not black and white. It's gray, especially that particular topic. But uh, let's uh, shift gears here and get to our first interview: Cowboy Cerrone headlining. UFC fight night in Ottawa, taking on Rajan Al Iaquinta. And uh, Rajan Al is uh, ranked number four, Cowboy number nine. Really, really uh, great fight for the fans of in Ottawa. There's still tickets available, but I, uh, I, I really like that particular matchup. I think it's as good as it gets for a card that's an ESPN Plus card. Um, you, you have really high-level competition with one of the more popular guys in the UFC in Cowboy Cerrone. And uh, he joins us now on the TSN MMA Show. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to introduce this week's guest. Joined now in studio for the TSN MMA Show uh, with Cowboy Cerrone. We were just talking about the flat earth. Flat earth here. Yeah. I'm a believer <laughs> in the flat earth. I, uh, I don't understand how you aren't. That's what I'm more concerned about is how you believe that... Earth is round. Yeah, well, I, I have looked at some scientific journals that have shown me that that, that is a possibility. <laughs> but I've got an open mind. <laughs> we should probably let everyone know you're kidding, right? Oh, yeah. Or not. <laughs> Even better. Yeah. So, actually, yeah, that's good. We'll keep both people. We'll keep yeah. the Flat Earth people cheering for you and the Round Earth there people we cheering go. for you. Yeah. I think there's only 17 Flat Earth supporters out there, right? I mean, how many are there? Well, I guess Co- you said there's conventions. Mm-hmm. Crone Gracie, who trains with the Diaz, is a, a Flat Earth believer. Yeah, I mean, he trains with the Diaz. That was where you went astray right there. Like, mm-hmm. that whole group is just bizarre. So, Well, you almost ended up uh, in a matchup with one of the Diaz brothers recently, from what I understand. I know, and then they got sidetracked with something. I'm not sure what happened there. Who knows? Who knows? And that was Nate Diaz, I imagine, not Nick N- Diaz. Yeah, Nate. He, uh, maybe he was at one of the, Maybe a Flat Earth conference came up, <laughs> and he had to attend. That's what was the conflict of dates. That would be a rematch, and I mentioned to you earlier is that that when you want to get back, and you just you don't even care. I don't care. Yeah, I don't. Sure, I'd like to get it back. Sure, I'd like to take another fight. Doesn't matter to me. Well, you took one, Ally Akinta. It's a tough opponent uh, in Ottawa this May. Uh, came together pretty quickly, from what I understand. Yeah, it was like a two day. They asked, I said yes. They asked, he said yes. Next day, we got our contracts. You gotta love that. I love it. I love it, man. And Al's not. Um, there's no hostility, you know, like we were standing there interviewing next to each other. I'm glad. It's good to see there's still 
some guys that have a little bit of integrity in the sport left that there's no need to get all puffed my chest up. And like we're fighting on May 4th and we're going to get paid. And then we're going to give half our checks to the Canadian government to help build this wall. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not we're not building a wall here. <laughs> just uh, just to make that one clear. Uh, so yourself and um, we're going to build a wall to keep the Americans out. That's what to keep the Americans is. out of Canada. Yeah. <laughs> but then we wouldn't Jay have Walking this great ticket, main event. <laughs> denied. Can't come in here. <laughs> So uh, with Ally Akinta, this is uh, the kind of matchup that you like because it's two guys that are going to have a mutual respect for one another. And yeah, that's, of course. You're, you're kind of done with trash talking at this point. There's no, I mean, I'm, I'm going to fight Al just as hard being his buddy as I would, you know, having hatred for him, which I'd have zero hatred for him. Like I said, he's a stand-up dude. You know, he's going to come out there and fight me just as hard as well. So there's no need to make all this fake, try and sell the fight. The fight's going to sell. If you're an MMA fan, you know we're both coming out there to throw down. So... All you got to do is crack your beer, sit back, and enjoy. Do you feel like there's a degree of authenticity <clears throat> missing from MMA right now that people are trying too hard? The Connor, the Connor effect is, has uh, resonated down to everybody. Everyone's trying to do that. You know, they think that that's, that's the, the idol that they need to portray themselves after and, and, and mimic, and it's just it's stupid. Well, the, the odd thing is, though, it's only worked for one person. Yeah. Like when you true. really think about it, look at the numbers. There's, there's only one. This is the way that I look at all the superstars in the sport. You've got the Rondas and uh, and Connors, the people that have drawn the gigantic numbers. Something the about the Cowboys, <laughs> the Cowboys of the world. Well, something about them has drawn people and drawn eyeballs to those individuals, and it's kind of an intangible thing. So when people are trying to imitate them and copy them, it, it comes off as inauthentic. Sure, absolutely, I'm with you. I'm with you. And people seem to <clears throat> like having, they like putting you on TV because it seems like the general population and the people that don't really want to spring for the pay-per-views want to watch cowboy fights, the sure. millions of people. I like fighting on TV, to be honest with you. It does, I don't get paid any different for a pay-per-view. I'd rather fight for the blue-collar people. Watch it home for free, baby. Your title fight was on TV. Was it, was it not? I can't remember. The one with Ben know Henderson. It. Who knows? I think it was. Yeah, there's been too many of them. Do you know how, how much uh, cage time you've had? I did the math this morning, actually. Does that interest you at all? Like how, how many minutes of fighting you've done in, in the UFC? Let's say an hour. Four hours and 35 minutes. That was off a little bit. Of actual in-cage time. That's pretty remarkable. Booyah. <laughs> but you don't, really, you don't really hang these accolades up on your walls. You don't care about how many fights, how many bonuses. I mean, you want to get a bonus every time, I'm sure. Yeah, just for the fun shit I get to do. That's the only, yeah, you know, that's, um, yeah, I love, love it, love it, love it, love it. I can't even express that enough how much I enjoy it. Like right now... I love this whole process, like being out here in Toronto, doing these interviews. Like it's it's a pain in the ass, right? But it's it's fun looking back. And I got my friends with me, and Shara, we've been giving her shit all day. She's probably fucking sending emails <laughs> right now. And uh, it's a good. It, it's just good. It's fun, you know, to joke around and be with everybody. And then looking back, and then all of a sudden, we're gonna be out here for fight camp. Like it's gonna go that fast. Like yeah, next, it's about a month. I, yeah, I'm gonna go yeah. home, and then we're here, and uh, we're fighting, and then and then when it's over. It's all, it's like it's like a ah right, but then you're like, oh man, I, I want, I need another one. Like I need <laughs> right. It's like you're I a just, thrill junkie. For yeah, the most part. exactly. I just came yeah. off my drug, and now now I'm the little crackhead running around the UFC office saying I, I need more. <laughs> well, you're turning uh, 36 in two days. Yeah. Um, wow, 36. Yeah, and you've been doing this for a long time. I mean, where's back the fountain of youth? Days. I don't know. You have to ask the flat earthers. Is it there? You think? Maybe <laughs> Some, under that? Somewhere, somewhere under on the, the dome. Earth. Yeah, <laughs> I need it. <laughs> but do you feel older? Do you or do you feel like the same cowboy as when you were in the WEC? You know when I feel older. For instance, last night when I was supporting single moms and they come up and try and talk to you, and you're like, "Man, I am 15 years older than you." That is, 
I, that's when I feel old. When I when I talk to young strippers, that's uh, when I feel old. Is that what you did out in Ottawa last night? Yeah, just I wanted to check out the culture and taste the beer, and they had a buffet, so we wanted, we were sampling. We were kind of doing a little world tour. If you would. Well, are you allowed to comment on which Canadian beers you like, or is that against your contract with Budweiser? Yeah, I just drink ice cold, delicious Budweiser. That's mm-hmm. all. I don't even know there was a Canadian beer. There was other beer here. Yeah. Oh, I didn't Molson know that. Canadian and uh, I didn't know no, that. It's weird. That. Yeah, we're, we're a pretty big beer country. Ah, yeah. I had a Stella. Stella's Budweiser. Had okay. A, yeah, they, there was a Stella. Oh, they, they own a lot of beers. I guess they own a lot yeah. of beer. Yeah. <laughs> so you can almost throw one out, and they probably own it anyways. Right. Uh, um, it was good. Have you tried poutine? You know what poutine? I is? did. Okay. Um, all right. I've I've had last time we were here actually odd, odd this is the first time I've ever had you guys have like um or not here or in Toronto now but in Ottawa they have like a little town center kind of deal okay and we were walking around and, and I was like what is this poutine <laughs> right mm-hmm. like what is what is this and uh so I tried it it was good Did yeah. you just have the regular basic one gravy it's cheese gravy yeah okay. cheese exactly they've got lots of variations now sure but that's the tried and true yep it's good you can even get it vegan right Rod. You can, get, you can get a little vegan poutine. <laughs> You've had some good times fighting in Canada. You had that great fight with Matt Brown. Yep. I guess that was at UFC That was here in Toronto. Yeah. Right. And are there any others that come to mind? Uh, the other fight I had was Wagner Roca, which is back in the day in uh, Vancouver. And Vancouver is probably one of my favorite parts of Canada. Beautiful. We were there in the summer. Um, yeah, I love it. It's cool. It's, it's not, what is it today? Negative. 27? No, it's nice there. It's nice there right now. No, here. Oh, here. No, it's not bad. Well, it's not bad. It's yeah. good. Rang off the number. Negative we're, we're in like six? The, we're in the 40s. Oh. No, today? Yeah. Yeah, we're 40s. in the 40s. Yeah, we're in like the low 40s. No. The car said negative three. Neil, pull that up. We'll, we'll, we'll figure this out. Yeah. Well, negative three is, is, we're talking Celsius, though. Well, I understand, but yeah, negative yeah. three is still. It's like in the 30s or something, isn't it? Negative well, three? If, 20 something, 20 something okay. yeah. Because if we we're, I think it's getting up to zero, the would today, be though. 32. <laughs> so if we were negative three, yeah, we're like 20, which is means fucking cold. Yeah, it's cold. But you're from Denver, though. You know, you know the cold, don't yeah. you? Yeah. But now you're in New Mexico. Is is it warm all year in New Mexico? Not all year. It's, uh, we we get a little frosty down there too, but it's uh, it's all right. What's your favorite thing about this whole? Career of yours. I mean, I know you don't like cutting the weight. Last uh, last one didn't look great against Alex Hernandez, and he was he was picking a fight with you on the stage, and you looked like you wanted to be anywhere else. Yeah, I was hurting, man. That's uh, I don't know why you lose your voice when oh, because you're dehydrated. <laughs> ah, water. Um, what'd you ask me? I was saying is other than the weight cutting, what's your favorite part about this? Like, what's your favorite part of this whole game? Oh, getting in there and fighting, man, I love it. It's is, so, but is there a moment of of it that like that stands like? Is it the butterflies when it's about to start? Is it at, at the end? Man, you know, it's is there... the whole. You, I couldn't. I couldn't pick one one moment of it. It's the whole, whether winning or losing. You know, it's the same roller coaster ride of emotions, and it's nuts, man. But this is the one sport where it's like the highest highs and the lowest lows, man. Like. Come off a loss. Now I'm on coming off two wins, and everyone's like, "Hmm, what are you doing different?" Obviously, something has changed. Like, no, just <laughs> different people. <laughs> just, you know what I mean? Like, nah, just stringing two wins together. It's okay. I nothing. I haven't done anything different. But when you lose, you're like, "Oh man, what's going on?" I need it. That's it. Got to fire all my coaches. Got to re- get a new plan. Like, it's just crazy how your mind works. Like, you think you get, but it's just, man, it's just a sporting event. That's just everyone. You know, you got at the end of the day. Winning and losing is a byproduct of performing well. That's that's all it is, right? So if you look at it like at, at the lowest level, you just go out there and have fun, and I love every bit of it. So I don't like dwell on those losses, right? 
So you're asking me about Diaz. Like, do you want that fight back? Like, well, that's here and gone. Like, I'll take a fight with him. I don't care, but I don't... Just with this belt, I don't wake up every morning like, I need the UFC title. Like, that, that doesn't... I What I need to do is tomorrow wake up and go live life, ride my Harleys, ride my horses, hang out with my friends. That's what I need to do, right? That, those are the things that, like, drive me. Um, fighting on May 4th is just what I'm going to do on May 4th, right? So... Um, and if I'm in title contention, cool. If not, if I got to take another fight, fine. But like I said, I, there's a lot of people, I guess, maybe I don't have the right mentality. I don't have the right drive. But, man, living life to me is... You're living life day to day. I mean, that's the yeah, way that's, you, your career is, Exactly. Right? Yeah, you're not looking too far into the future. Um, but one thing that's changed <laughs> about your career, uh, probably the biggest change, is the training. I mean, I, you're not with Jackson Wink anymore. You're doing everything in-house and on the ranch, if I'm not mistaken. Right, and, right. So who are you working with for the most part, primarily? Uh, we... Well, yeah, definitely not Greg and Winklejohn anymore, but just flying all my coaching. I got Shara, my strength conditioning coach. She's from Canada, eh? <laughs> but we have to sneak her in across the border because she doesn't work. She can't get paid in America. <laughs> so she just comes and visits pro bono. Then I pay her for... You pay her when you get to Canada. That's when you give her Yeah, that's money. what I do. <laughs> As a tour guide. Mm-hmm. <laughs> tour guide in Canada for four days. It's pretty cool. Appreciate that. Do you even talk to Greg Jackson anymore? You guys were very close. We're still close. I was just in Australia with him, you know, and um, I don't have any ill feelings towards him at all. And um, still a good dude. I just don't, I don't train with him anymore because he lost his backbone when it came time to pick me over what all that happened, you know. And I was like, Greg, you, I've been with you the longest. I moved here for you, and then Winkle John just punked you out like that. Like to me. To me, if we're as close as you say we are, you you should have put your foot down and stood up for that, right? So it just, I, I was more let down. I told him that when we were outside, like, man, you let me down. Like, you really, that that hurt me. So. And does he uh, acknowledge that? Does he acknowledge that he backed the wrong horse? No, Greg's really intelligent. So he, he leaves the conversation with me thinking, like, what did I do wrong? Right? Like, you <laughs> know what I mean? So, and then I got to go shake it off. Like, God damn it. No, you, you, you're right. Right, so. <laughs> He's a real smart guy. And Winkle John, you never really had much of a relationship with, if I'm not mistaken. No, man. Winkle John, ES, the, the, the old ESPN fights that still replay in his head, he's still that guy, just a fucking turd. So don't like him. Never have. We've never got along. And yeah. What do you I mean know. by the old ESPN fights? Oh, that's like he, that's his like claim to fame. You know, he was on ESPN Classic Kickboxing. <laughs> oh, like oh, like cornering boxer, old old school boxer. Yeah, he's still he's still doing the same same exact combinations back then as he is today. It's it's sad, you know. I wish, I don't know. And you're, you're still like working it. with a lot of the people from that camp, like Lando Venata, from what oh, I understand. Yeah, comes they're out. all my friends, yeah. right? So they just all come up to the ranch and we train. And then Winkle John tells them, "If you go up to the ranch, you're never allowed here again." And then they just tell they just come up anyway. So. <laughs> Well, he doesn't know who's coming up to the ranch, right? No, he doesn't. It's just such so a joke. Tell me about this ranch. You got a lot of you house a lot of fighters that come down and uh, they want to stay and train with you. Mm-hmm. How many people are on the ranch at any given time? I can hold up to about eighteen. It's kind of uh, right now. There's how many are there? Ten of us, ish. Something like right, that. Right, math yeah. is it's hard to like yeah. count. Yeah, you're trying to count your head. Yeah, like 10, 11 of us. Yeah, sure. and that's usually about what it is. It's, yeah, sometimes yeah. a little more. We got a little more coming. Um, two more coming, so it'd be like 12, 13. Yeah. And it's basically knows? where you live, right? So you can get out of the gym and you walk into your house and you're. Oh, yeah, you're literally across yeah. the driveway. Yeah. Like, so you all, must love that. 
I do it. Could we train whenever? That's the problem. Like, I have no schedule. Mm-hmm. So, like, Miss Itinerary next to me right here <laughs> wants a schedule. We don't have one because the gym's right there. Like, I can train at 2 in the morning if I want or 10 o'clock at night. There's no, I don't have to, there, it doesn't close. You know what I mean? So it's so convenient and nice to have, but. I love it, man. It's really cool. That seems to jive more with the way you, you operate on a day-to-day basis anyways. When you're feeling it, you're feeling it. When you're not, you're not. Yeah, because if we right now if the sun's blazing, we're like, hey, man, let's go jump on these Harleys. We just take off. We don't have to worry about missing practice at 7 o'clock. Because mm-hmm. we just, when hey, everyone's are, riding <laughs> together. When you, we get back, we're like, hey, let's just go in the gym yeah, and train You run the now. practice. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so it's, uh, well, I don't run it, but the coaches are usually out there riding riding with me. We're going to get Shara on a motorcycle this, this summer. It's going to be Awesome. Have you seen Wild Hogs? Have you seen the movie? No, I know of it, though. It's going to be her. (laughs) (laughs) So when you get back into your house after sparring or whatever, you can flip that switch right away. You can see your your son and your your wife. He comes to the gym with Yeah, they're. I mean, they're right there. So they come, hang out. Um, Usually by the time we're done, because we we fuck off all day, so we train late. They're both in bed by the time I get in there. So. um, And is your son starting to communicate with you and, and... Talk to you about what you do or anything. I mean, other than telling me he wants to go to Aruba after this fight, he doesn't really say too many words. He's kind of quiet. Have you been there before? No, never been to Aruba. Yeah, nice. Yeah, you'll like it there. The good thing about Aruba is it's the ultimate place if you're planning a honeymoon. Now I know you're already married, but uh, because the weather's always good, they don't have like hurricanes hitting Aruba or anything like that. Like all all year round, you're pretty safe going there in terms of the the weather, getting good weather. Yeah, all my son says is Dada, Mama, Baba. Which mama and baba might be the same thing, I think. Mama, baba, when he cries, and then I just hold him and don't know what to do. So. And does your grandmother come come around oh, yeah. a lot? Yeah, a lot, so yeah. she's around a lot. Okay, mm-hmm. so, and she still lives in Denver. Yep, she still lives in Denver. Yeah, so she's been such an iconic part of your life, like such oh, an man, important. Oh man, totally. Piece. And now my and since I've had my son, my my real dad and mom are trying to like come be more part of my life, but I still don't really let them. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. but it's okay. They're trying. Yeah, how did that all come about in terms of uh, with your parents and your grandmother? I, I guess I, I read about this in Sports Illustrated, but it's been a while since I read the article. So what? Um, walk me through that. Yeah, I was like the worst kid ever, so I don't blame them. Like, matter of fact, I can only have sex on my back because I can only fuck up, if that makes any sense, <laughs> right? <laughs> that makes sense. I understand what you're saying. <laughs> so the, it's, it's like a, it's a dad joke, but a naughty dad yeah, joke. So right? it's, it's I mean, yeah, right? I mean, yeah. If there's when I was a kid, if there was a way to get in trouble, I would. So I, my parents were just irate all the time, and finally they just had enough and threw me out of the house. And my my grandma and grandpa ended up raising me, right? And um, I never like let that down. I, I I always carry a chip on my shoulder for my parents. Like you guys abandoned me, you know. I felt like like they just threw me to the wolves, which they did. But looking back at a dad now to who I was, I was. A real shit, <laughs> big time, yeah. So, um, and how did your grandparents know how to manage you? Like manage that that part of you? I don't know, man. They just they never disciplined me ever. It was funny because if I would go do something wrong, I would just come in and I'd see my grandma, and she wouldn't even say anything. She just the look on her face, and and I'd be like, "Why don't you ever like yell at me?" And she goes, "Do you know what you did?" And I'd say, "Yeah." And she goes, "Well, I know what you did. So what else do we need to talk about?" And I was like. Okay, so I'm like grounded. She's like, for what? Why? You know. So it was just a different. It was a different kind of method of training, you know. And I don't know. Man. No, I don't mean to play psychologist here, but that's very similar to how y- your fight career is, right? <laughs> it's like you know what you're gonna do. Sure. <laughs> you know what day you're gonna hey. do it on, and the rest of the stuff will, yeah. you know, it's kind of is is unnecessary. 
course. Yeah. So. Oh, this is like that Dr. Fraser Crane radio there show. You go. Fraser, yeah. There you go. Well, Cowboy, thank you for doing this. This is uh, a lot of fun chatting with you and picking your brain. So uh, yourself, Ally Akinta, it's uh, the main event, May 4th in Ottawa, Canadian Tire Center. Uh, it's good to have you back. How long did we go for? You said oh, 20 minutes. It was 18. Oh, we're close. Yeah, we didn't make it to 20. Dang. Unless you want to rail off your like 30 favorite fights of, uh, of no, your No, I, I couldn't even tell you <laughs> 30 favorite fights. I like talking about flat earth and stuff. <laughs> Do you have a favorite fight? I think I've asked you this before. Of my own? Yeah. No. No. And do you, do you ever go back and watch them? Never. I don't even watch my fights the day out. I don't ever. Don't record them. Don't have anything to do with them. I interviewed you in uh, in Edmonton, and uh, it was before you were going to fight Darren Till. I said, do you know who this guy is? And you said, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, no I idea. Did, and I didn't know. Yeah. No clue. Um, and does that happen often? Yeah, all the time. I I. Just don't follow the sport. There's so much, like I said, there's so much life to be lived out there that we're we're literally on the ranch. We're doing something fun and entertaining every single day, right? So I don't don't really have. There's no downtime. Um, we're like, what time did we start yesterday? Eight and six in the morning. We went all the way till four in the morning, three thirty this morning, yeah. and then we and then we went to sleep for two hours, and now we're here. We are again, <laughs> right? The days are we just we're just running and gunning. Some of my friends usually tell me they have to hang out with me in shifts because they can't keep up. <laughs> Is there anything that, that you do that gives you the same adrenaline as fighting that you think after your career will, will be able to satiate that need? Ah, man, I don't know. That's going to be a hard one to fill. I've, I've been looking high and low all over the earth for it. Um, haven't found it yet. What's the, what's the closest? Skydiving. Yeah, you've done that before? Yeah. Sky, there's really not much I haven't done, so except for Sleep of the Man. Um all right. All right. Well, there you go. On we that, got we got you to twenty on minutes that. on that on that on that incredibly awkward note. We will wrap this thing up. Cowboy, thank you for this. Appreciate it. <laughs> that was a weird way to end that interview with Cowboy Cerrone. Very weird. But I like Cowboy, and I think that uh, what he has to say is very interesting. He's a he's an odd fellow, very odd fellow. But I like that about him. He's taking on Ally Akinta, who's ranked number four. About a year ago, Ali Akinta stepping in against Khabib on short notice for the, uh, at the time, vacant lightweight title. And that was one of the more unlikely things to happen. That must have been uh, such a weird, I mean, it was a weird week. I was down there covering the event, and it seemed like things just kept happening and happening and happening. It was just this crazy, crazy domino effect of insanity. And uh, Al and I talk about that in this interview. As he joins me now on the TSN MMA show, it's Rajan Ali Akinta. Joined in studio right now by Ally Akinta, Ragin' Al. Right. Where did Ragin' come from? I mean, it's kind of obvious, but who gave you the nickname? Uh, it was it was actually Mike Chiesa and Sam Cecilia from the Ultimate Fighter when I was on the Ultimate Fighter. There was one day I fought in the beginning, towards the beginning of the show, and then uh, I knew that I wasn't going to have to fight for like, I don't know, six weeks or something. So we had a day off. I just started getting into the liquor cabinet. And then uh, I didn't really tell anybody either. I just started drinking by myself. And by the end of the, by the end of the day, I had everybody, everybody drinking with me, and we were wrecking the place, jumping in the pool with microphones on. We got fined. <laughs> we caused we caused some havoc that day. It never made it onto the, uh, it never made it on air. But it was a fun day. And ever since then, it was just raging out stuck. Team Faber, Uriah, and all his guys started calling me raging out, and just kind of, kind of stuck. It's a relatively new nickname then. Not when no. you got when you were like wrestling oh, back in the yeah, day. No, or anything. No. Yeah, no, I mean that was like se- I think it was seven years yeah. ago. So it's the, now it's, the it's, only live season of the Ultimate Fighter. Yeah, I loved yeah. that. That uh, was really was, cool. That was an intense, intense, intense thirteen weeks. I don't think 
I don't think our our guys got enough uh, enough credit for that one. That was that was uh, that was insane. They never yeah. did that again. And they, they did it all in real time. Yeah. Not yeah. only do you guys deserve credit, but the production team probably uh, deserves a lot of credit too. And our family and friends. We <laughs> yeah. couldn't talk to our family or friends for 13 weeks. We had no contact with the outside world. It oh, I, you know what? I guess that's true crazy. because normally the seasons are what four or five weeks. They yeah, yeah 13. Yeah, that's yeah. that's almost that's like a third of the year. Yeah, it was three, that's mo- three months long. It was crazy. Yeah, it was so crazy. What what uh, what was your favorite experience from that? Uh, I guess that 13 weeks away with a, a lot of different uh, really talented fighters on that particular season. Uh, well, obviously I had the best. I had the best of everything right at my disposal. A lot of the guys were kind of like complaining about, um, you know, oh, I missed my fan, I missed this. I mean, it's like, do you want to be a fighter? Because you got everything here. We got the best prospects, upcoming uh, guys to work with, best coaches. Uriah Faber brought in Chad Mendez, uh, Danny Castillo, Lance Palm. I mean, we had an un, I mean, it, the facilities that we had it was crazy. But there was one, uh, I was supposed to go on a bachelor party before. Uh, you know, before I got on the Ultimate Fighter, I had told my friend, you know, I'm, I'm down to go in Vegas, but um, I might be on this show, so I don't know how it's going to work. And then I ended up getting on the show, told him I can't go. But I remembered the date, and I knew that they were going to be in Vegas while I was on the show. And it was right after one of, right after I fought Miles Jury on the on the uh, on the prelim like fights. So I slipped one of the coaches. A, uh, a phone number of my friend and and told him you know tell these guys tell these guys where to meet us you know where the gym is at so they can come and kind of like say hi and I forgot about it it was like a month I was in the beginning of the month and then a month later we're driving to the gym and I see a bunch of kids walking uh, away from the gym towards it's like a there's no reason for anyone to be there it's a dead yeah, end street I, yeah I've been there know? before yeah. it's like an industrial complex exactly so I see a bunch of a bunch of you know, kids my age walking down, and and I'm like, oh, that kid kind of looks like Scro. Holy shit, it is Matt Scro. I go, <laughs> stop the bus right now. I started, they, I started banging on. They were, they started going nuts. It was like maybe ten of them. So they, on the Ultimate Fighter, they were like, you, you know, you can't have con, you can't see it. if you talk to anybody. You know, we're gonna kick you off and blah blah. blah. So we pulled up to the gym, and they, they were maybe like two hundred yards, three hundred yards down. And I was like, can I just go say hi to them? They're like, you can't really go. You can't go talk to them. I was like, screw this. I just started. I was like, what are they going to do? Throw me off? I just won my first fight, you know? So I I ran down. I said hi to them for maybe like a minute. And I was like, what's up? They were like, yo, you look awesome on this show. You're looking great. Okay, oh, they would have seen it, right? Yeah, the, yeah. The fight would have been live. Exactly. Yep. I was like, how do I look? They're like, you look great. Keep doing it up. You're, you're killing it. We all watched. They told me they all watched it at one of the local bars and, and, um, they showed me a video of everyone going nuts. So that, that was like, uh, that fed me throughout the next couple of weeks. I was like, that it just gave me a burst of energy, a little bit of home and, uh, being able to see those guys and that they would at a, you know, during a bachelor party, usually you're at the, you know, they're at pool party to the night spot, to the after hours, hungover, boom, for them to take the time to come and see me at, uh, at, at the, uh, at the, uh, the 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 gym, um, they meant a lot, and I was like, "Wow, this is that's that's awesome." I feel like since then you've been almost a perpetual underdog. People are always underestimating how good you are. You're ranked fourth in the world. Do you think those days are over now? Uh, I don't know. I I think in some I think some people probably will always underestimate me. Maybe it's just the way the way I do things. I'm not too like flashy or anything. 
but I do the basics well. Um, try not to try not to get too crazy on the mic and like go outside of myself. I'm just trying to trying to be myself and. Uh, maybe that gets overlooked, but I'm definitely one of the toughest guys. I'm definitely the toughest guy in this division, and anyone that's underestimating me is sadly mistaken. The uh, fight with Khabib, I think, is the one where people started to really give you a lot of credit, taking that fight on really short notice. What I'm curious about that is, what was that whole week like? From from basically the moment you find out Tony Ferguson is out until yeah. you're matched up with Khabib, how does that week go for you? Because you're, you're pretty on the pulse of everything. You, I know you're focused on your opponent, but you're following what's going on. Yeah, yeah. No, I was definitely, throughout that whole process, keeping tabs on everything. I don't, I, I don't, if there's a crazier three-day period in my life, I don't know what the heck it's going to be. I don't know. I can't imagine it because I was at the media day. I'm fighting Felder. We square off. I get it on the bus to go back, and the bus gets attacked by freaking Connor throwing Were you them. on that bus? I was on the bus. Okay. And uh, that was just absolutely insane. Um, we thought we were, I didn't know. At first, I thought, you know, people are banging on the bus. I thought it was fans. Then I think they're running somebody over because it's aggressive. They're like, boom, boom. And the bus had just started pulling away. So I'm like, they're running somebody over. And they want, you know, they're trying to get them to stop the bus. And then something comes flying through the window. Glass shatters. People are screaming. Cut, you know, blood and everything. I, th- I thought it was like a terrorist attack or so I I didn't know what was going on. It happened so fast. And then I see a little Connor running around on the side, and I was like, "Oh, I get what this is." And I pulled out my phone. I started videotaping, and he got in, uh, you know through the through the window. He got in and kind of Khabib started yelling at each other. So that was the that was day one. Day two, I make weight, and then I find out that I'm Max isn't making weight, and everything goes down with that. I end up getting the fight headlining the Barclays Center, you know, 30 minutes from my, my house. And you lobbied for that, right? You wanted that. Yeah. Even though weeks prior you said you'd need $2 million to fight Khabib, you, you actually wanted to fight and you lobbied for it. <laughs> yeah, I, I spoke out of, spoke out of, out of uh, out a turn there. I, I, uh, I definitely, you know, it was a great opportunity. It was a great opportunity. A win over that, a win, a win in that fight would have been $2 million plus, but I, I didn't get the job done. Um but the and then the next night I I fought for you know I headlined the the Barclays Center against probably the toughest uh, champion undefeated highly most highly touted wrestler ground and pound he's just like a crazy you know most dominant guy I think most, in UFC most history most dominant you know what I mean so uh, yeah that I mean I I slept maybe six hours those whole three days I I that's never happened to me before. I was, like, just wired. And I wasn't tired at all. I was, like, just adrenaline was pulling me through every second of that weekend. It was crazy. Um, But, I mean, I I fought. I put on a a decent performance. I got a lot of people. uh, There was a lot of eyes on me. It thrust me right into the spotlight. And to put on a a performance like that against a guy like that on that kind of notice definitely got people people thinking. It's weird that you make the weight. And like 12 hours prior, or something along those lines, nearly 24 hours prior, you're on a bus with Kiesa, who you were in the house with in the Ultimate Fighter and was in the finale with, with Khabib, who you're about to fight, yeah. and all of these other, and Connor's outside the bus. Like, how surreal was that when it's happening in real time? Because I was there covering the event, and it seemed surreal, but you're in it. Yeah. They, uh, so after the whole bus thing, 
we stayed at the arena. The bus was going back to the hotel, but once that whole, whole thing happened, the bu- they they uh, they calmed this this scene down, and they they got the police. The police came, and we were staying in a room in the arena, and uh, Khabib was it was as far as me and you, and I just had like a weird feeling. I was like, let me not like get too friendly with this guy. I feel like we're gonna end up fighting one day, you know, or it just it, something seemed it just seemed like. And I didn't want to. We were all talking. It was a, a bunch of people talking about the uh, about what happened. One of the uh, one of the UFC um, employees, the 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 thing came through the window and they got down in the position like this. If the plane is going mm-hmm. down, yeah, yeah. So Khabib was kind of like ripping on him for that, and uh, <laughs> you know I was kind I was laughing, but I was like, you know what? I don't know if I want to get too too uh, too friendly with this guy. I feel like we're gonna end up fighting. Soon, and it ended up happening right, you know, the next day. It was crazy. Yeah, it's uh, that was a, a very wild, probably the craziest week in the history of the sport. It's just considering all the things that happened from Tony tripping on a wire fluke injury, yeah, uh, Max being told he couldn't cut any more weight, the Connor incident, like just it was, uh, you know, just an onslaught of all of these crazy things happening at once. Absolutely, yeah, it was. Like I said, can't I don't if there's anything three days crazier than that. I don't know. Help me out. Let's, that's let's be... hope in Ottawa for Carolyn's sake, who's uh, <laughs> does PR for UFC Canada. Uh, that uh, yeah, that doesn't yeah, happen in Ottawa. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you and the thing about you and Cowboy is, I think you guys have a similar mantra. You're not all about uh, you know talking trash and and promoting fights in that way. You guys are just about you're all about it. You're all about getting in there, doing it. I think there's probably going to be a pretty deep mutual respect between the two of you. Um, and uh, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. No, I I mean I would hope so. I I definitely have a tremendous amount of respect for him and the uh, body of work he's put together throughout his career. He's a guy that I've looked up to for a very long time. I I can guarantee you, I've been he's been uh, I've been thinking about fighting him way more than he for a longer period of time than he's been thinking about fighting me. So I've always I've watched him in the WBC and I've you know. In my head, imagined a million ways the fight's gone, as I have done with everybody since I got into the sport. But uh, you know, I, the uh, the fighting speaks for itself with us. I think there's not there's not going to be too much. We're not going to go outside ourselves and try to hype this fight up. The, the fight it, it hypes itself up. People know that we're coming to fight. Yeah, I feel like uh, he doesn't really give a lot of thought to who he's going to fight. I, I feel like he has an answering machine that says, you know, if this is Dana White, the answer is yes. Uh, if otherwise, please leave a message at the sound of the tone. But uh, that's just been his his mantra. Do you know how long he's fought uh, in terms of um, hours and minutes? I did the calculation today. How how many in cage minutes he has in the UFC? I don't I don't know what what is it? Four hours. It's something like four hours and thirty five minutes. I did yours also. Yours is about two and a half hours. So he's got twice as much. Yeah, he's they, got well, about twice as much. Yeah, so. I think he might have twice as, as many fights. It might even be more yeah. than twice as many fights in the yeah, UFC. Yeah. I think you and him have a different um, process for when it comes to what's going to happen. Uh, with an upcoming bout. I feel like you're a lot more methodical about who... You know, the crazy thing about this is the people say, oh, I'll take any fight any time against anybody. Yeah. I think that's kind of a played-out thing. I think that the way that you approach it is a much smarter uh, and more economical way of prolonging your career and having more success because you're you're looking for what you think is a, a good matchup for you, um, something that's going to elevate you and, and, and bring you as close to the top as possible. And I think that's a much more intelligent way about managing a career. Uh, I think that's... Absolutely right. It's got to either elevate you or it's got to get you paid, you know, big, big money if it's not. But uh, this is a fight where I think it can put me in the position to do both. Uh, I was at his his last fight in Brooklyn and 
He got the crowd was behind him more than they were behind anybody on the card. It looked Champion. like a buddy comedy. You and uh, you and the guys backstage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I tell you what, man, we had such a fun. That was such a fun night. It was great. Um, uh, I love those guys. We had, we had we had a good good time. And that Tyrone, you know the Tyrone guy, you know Which that guy? guy, the Instagram guy, Tyrone. No, I don't no. know. He's like so, I don't know. You have to look him up. I didn't really know who he was at the time, but he was, uh, I guess he's a big UFC fan. He goes to all the fights in New York. But uh, we did a little skit video with him and Weidman and Weidman's wife. Uh, it, it was funny. You'll, you'll get into it now that I... Now that yeah, I'll, I, take, now I'll that take a look. You'll take a look. <laughs> I don't know. It's a little out there, but it's he's he's funny. But uh, yeah, he got a... Cowboy got a, a huge pop from the fans. So I know there's going to be a lot of eyes on this on this one for sure. Well, the next fight for... Cowboy was supposed to be Conor McGregor. I mean, Dana White came out earlier this week before yesterday's news and said that uh, they had offered him and Cowboy the co-main event um, for the July card, which I personally believe is insane to offer Conor a co-main event. I don't know if you agree with that. I mean, Uh, he should be in the main event. I feel like him versus anybody in the UFC does better numbers than almost any other main event that could be made. Yeah, it's a little weird that they would put the title just, I mean, force that. Apparently there has to be a title fight on a pay-per-view. Which I just is that like a company policy? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't be quite something understand with the pay per view provider or yeah. something like that. I guess maybe the numbers hadn't been so great when they didn't do it, so they made it a thing. Well, they've said this, but if you look at Diaz McGregor, the two of the biggest fights in UFC history in terms of numbers, and they're both non title fights. This is at true. This is true. Dana, Dana's argument for that was that Conor was a champion at the time, so they were able to make. Yeah. Even though it wasn't in the same weight class, they were able to make that a main. Okay. Uh, I mean, the, it, you're right. I think it's. But I'm glad they it worked made, out for you. It worked out for me, <laughs> so I'm not complaining. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why they did it like that. I don't know what what other reasons were behind it. Whether it was a money thing, Connors said he's retiring now, so it's it's worked yeah. out. It's how, how much did out your phone me. light up yesterday morning? Yeah, when everyone keeps up, asking yeah. me like, "Oh, give us your reaction." I'm like, "I'm not. I don't even really care. Like, if he wants to retire, retire." The guy, as far as I'm concerned, he like he. he his stock's not as high as he thinks he is. He lost his last fight. Like you're, you're really just—he is a fighter at the end of the day. Like he—that's what got him to where he's at. And if you don't keep fighting and if you don't keep winning, people are gonna fall fall off the bandwagon. Um, he's hurting a lot of people. He's acting like a lunatic. He's he's forgot kind of forgotten where he came from. Um, it, I I used to love hearing the way he talked and about like. Respect in the martial arts, win or lose, winning in uh, winning or losing uh, the right way. But now it seems like he's just out of control. So if he retires, good riddance. I don't know. I don't. I have no really thought either way. Well, to your credit, you're one of the very few that haven't like been all over calling him out all the time. It seems like this guy get this guy got called out by Henry Cejudo this week in the last yeah, seven yeah. days. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I would love to fight if it happens. It's great. He's just another guy, but. Just like this fight, maybe on maybe to a, another level, it just so many more eyes just elevates your your stock when you when you get a win over a person like that. Do you have a bucket list? Bucket list, like guys uh, that you guys that you want to fight before your career is over at lightweight. No, not I don't actually. It's funny I've never even really thought about it like that. Um, I think I like, I think I just like fights like this, like guys that I've watched coming up and. Um, you know, you see on TV, and they're just when I was younger, they would just seem so much. Uh, it seemed like almost 
superhuman. Like you watch these guys on TV. Wow. And I remember when I first started uh, training at Ray Longo's and I was just about to go pro. He was like, listen, man, it all looks good on TV. Half of these guys are fucking retards. He's like, you could you could beat the crap out of every single one of them. He goes, the, the TV makes them look good, but wait till you see them in the back. You know, in the back in the back room warming up, they're all scared, they're all nervous, they're all just like you. There's no there, there's no superheroes stuff like that. So I took that into and I took that to heart, and and I see it coming up. Like these guys have nothing on me. I do respect everybody, but um, there's no reason there's no reason with the team that I have. The support system I have, the people I have behind me, uh, where I've been to get to where I'm at. There's no reason. There's no if I if I don't succeed, then shame on me because I have every opportunity and every everything I need to to be a champion. Uh, your good friend, I think he is he still your roommate, Aljamain Sterling. Are you he just bought together? a house. I'm, I'm <laughs> so lonely without him. Are you still living in the same the first house you bought? Yeah, yeah. Yep. When did you uh, you bought it for the garage? Is, is bought, what I, I bought the it. I bought the garage, and the house came with <laughs> yeah. it. The garage is sick. It's a two car detached garage. With, it's got uh, I got like a little office in there. I got a, a full full gym, mat space, heavy bags. Uh, it's got a bathroom with a shower. It's you, it's pretty. You sick. bought it before the Miss Clark fight, so it's not like all the success has gotten to your head, and you're buying mansions out in Uniondale. No, no, <laughs> no. I, I, uh, no, I, I just love I. The one it was the first house I looked at. My one the one qualification I had, I told I told my uh my friend's mother who was my real estate agent at the time, I said, I just need like a good garage. And she was like, All right, well we gotta check this house out. This is the first one. It looks like it's got a good one. And I just I said, I need that house. I need that garage, you know, and I taught private lessons out of there forever. When I was injured and had nothing, you know, I had no fights coming up. I was in there morning till night, uh you know, teaching private lessons and stuff, so it's it's paid for itself in full. So Aljo's moved out, and uh, he's looking to get that fight at bantamweight. It looks like it's going to be Cejudo versus uh, Marais in uh, June. But I mean, Aljo's done all the right things, man. He's he's winning the fights that he needs to win. He's getting finishes uh, of late. Um, what do you think it's going to take for him to get into that title picture? I think he's right there. I think uh, he, he very very possibly he could be the, the next. More than in line for a title shot. He could he could be the next one fighting for the title. Uh, it looks it kind of looks like Cejudo and Mar- and uh, Marlon are are going after each other. But this game is so crazy; anything can happen. And and um, in the blink of an eye, Aljo could be right in there. And if not, he's got one you know one fight, one fight to go until <coughs> excuse me, one fight to go until then. And and with the way he's been improving in the gym, but more so in the cage. He's he's getting more comfortable. We all know like what he could. The last fight, everyone really started to see him let his hands go. He he, uh, if he gets you down, good luck. You know he's like he's stronger than most fifty five pounders I've gone with, and uh, his squeeze he just squeezes the life out of you. So uh, I think that it's it's a great time for him, and our whole team is just coming together at the right time. It's it's uh, it's a great thing to see. Absolutely, and uh, Aljo's been making some good moves. That Sulaev stretch is still—it's amazing that there were two on the same card. Like that, Zabit did it like forty minutes later. Isn't that so crazy it's how weird. that happens? Yeah. yeah, it's almost like uh, I don't know. Maybe Zabit saw that, and then and then <laughs> gave it was him an idea. Almost like the <laughs> light bulb, you know, <laughs> the 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 first guy that ran the four minute mile, and then after that, a million people 
ran the four minute <laughs> mile because they just thought it, they saw it and they thought they could do it too. So maybe he saw it and he was like, oh, I could do that too, and he got in the right position. That was that was just crazy. That was crazy. And uh, yeah, what a great what a great uh, submission for Aljo. It was big win. That was, that was a tough fight, tough opponent. The the first I was at the second end of the second or third round. It was a, a tight fight, but Aljo just kept kept grinding, kept kept going, and uh, he ended up finding it. Before we wrap this up, do you have a prediction for Holloway versus um, Poirier UFC two thirty six interim title? I know you love the interim title; it's very important to you to get one oh, of those one day. Jeez, <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. I I don't have it. I really don't know how this fight's gonna go. I can't. Like sometimes I can kind of have a feeling of how the fight would go. I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know if Dustin's going to try to make it a if he can try to work his takedowns. If I I have no idea. I could, if I was going to predict something, I'd be way off. <laughs> so I'll predict that Max Holloway wins by TKO. All right. So you're hoping to way off. You're hoping that it's Poirier? <laughs> I don't know. You don't care. I have no idea. I don't <laughs> I just yeah, I don't know. I think it's we'll see how this whole thing plays out. The lightweight division is crazy. It's a fun time to be uh, in the division because at any time anyone could just stand out and, and get that shot. And you'll try to do that May 4th against Cowboy Cerrone main I event. I will, absolutely. Yeah, Canadian Tire Center in Ottawa. It's the first Canadian event of the year, and we're happy to have you here. I love it. Appreciate it. Thank you. That was Ragin' Ally Akinta on the TSN MMA show. Uh, fascinating conversation with the Ragin' one as he uh, goes to his main event fight in a couple of uh, weeks, maybe about a month, just over a month in Ottawa against Cowboy Cerrone. That's an exciting one. I, that, I, I think that that's a, a can't-miss five-rounder that the fans in Ottawa are going to enjoy. A lot of Canadians on that card, and I'm sure I'll be talking to a lot of them leading up to this particular card, including Arjun Buller, who's actually going to be with me uh, here next week. He's popping by. So let's move from that to Bellator. Now, I don't cover a ton of Bellator on this particular podcast, and... Uh, but that doesn't mean that Rory McDonald isn't the most talented Canadian competing in mixed martial arts today. And uh, while I admittedly don't give Bellator as much time on this show as uh, I do the UFC, I still respect everybody that uh, that does this for a living. And I think that uh, Bellator, a lot of their the top five guys in each division in Bellator are, you know, th- they would be in the UFC's top ten or top fifteen. I think that there's a lot of individuals in Bellator that are champions there that could beat the champions of the UFC. I think that uh, Bellator has some phenomenal prospects. I think Ed Ruth, even though he's coming off a loss recently, is a phenomenal prospect. Joey Davis is competing, I think, uh, this weekend. You've got uh, Tyrell Fortune, Aaron Pico, uh, despite him having a bit of a, a bumpy road so far. So I look at uh, those individuals... And uh, there are just there's a lot to like about what Bellator is doing, and I, I love their the Grand Prix tournaments. And uh, Rory McDonald is competing in one of those right now, the welterweight Grand Prix. Every fight, five rounds, he's the champions involved in the tournament. I like that. I think it would be unfair if, if it was just Rory doing five rounders. I think that uh, the idea of every single one of those being five rounds is uh, probably the right thing to do. Although it does leave more room for injuries and scratches from the tournament. Although the heavyweight tournament went unscathed. Everybody that was in the heavyweight tournament uh, kept competing. But uh, one thing to discuss with Rory is uh, this upcoming matchup with John Fitch next month. 
and uh, John Fitch is really having a bit of a, a late career renaissance. He fought for the title back in 2008. I was at that fight in, in, in Minnesota against John Fitch. Keith Herring and Brock Lesnar on that card and the debut of Johnny Bones Jones against Andre Galvao. I think that's what the guy's name was. Yeah, we'll just roll with it. But uh, here he is on the TSN MMA show. It's Rory McDonald discussing his upcoming bout with John Fitch and many, many other things. Uh, I, I highly recommend this one. I, I had a really good time uh, chatting with Rory. He, he was, uh, we got very philosophical, and I think you'll enjoy this. All right, it's a true pleasure. The TSN MMA show has, in my opinion, the best Canadian fighter in the world today, Rory McDonald in studio. April 27th on The Zone, you're facing John Fitch. It's kind of interesting. I was uh, at the fight in Minnesota, 2008, George St. Pierre versus John Fitch, okay. the main event. Uh, have you picked George bra- George's brain at all about uh, how to beat a guy like John Fitch? He gave me a couple pointers, but uh, nothing from his fighting days. He's just I think he knows a trick of his, so he, he let me know about it, but... But, uh, Do you think that trick is the same as it was 11 years ago? No, it was something he says uh, that he does it in training and uh, in fights. So he, I guess he'd found out somehow. So he let me know. And you're not going to tell me what that trick is? Uh, no. <laughs> it, doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't really matter anyway. It's a uh, small detail. Well, we'll see if it matters on, uh, I guess on so, April 27th. Yeah. So every fight of this tournament, it's the uh, Welterweight Grand Prix, is essentially a five-round title fight because they, they're all vying for a chance to, to face you. And you're defending your title every time you, you I guess, continue along in this tournament. So yeah. this is a, a title fight with John Fitch. His resurgence as a mixed martial artist has been something to behold in the last couple of years. I think he's been undefeated for the last three years, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, uh, beating a lot of really high-caliber high opponents. Are you surprised to see Fitch where he is today? Uh, I haven't paid too much attention, well, not only to his career, but many people's career. I don't watch a lot of fighting, but uh, John, is, he's good. He's always been good. And uh, he's got a ton of experience within every uh, organization. So he's not, definitely not someone to take lightly. He's got a hard work ethic in there when he fights. And he puts a lot of pressure on guys. So it's you always have to be sharp when you fight a guy like that. Or he'll make, it long, you know, he'll make it, uh, the fight very long and tedious. I find there are two camps of fighters. There are people that are kind of obsessed with watching mixed martial arts all the time. They watch every event, and they're trying to learn as much as they can yeah. from those things. And there are folks like yourself that don't watch a ton of fighting. So what's yeah. your rationale for not watching a ton of fighting? Um, I used to when I was a kid. Um, but it's I've been, do, I've been fighting pro for 14 years now. And uh, it's just not my biggest interest anymore. So I spend my time doing other things that I enjoy. But... Uh, you know, I still catch it. Obviously, I'm in. I'm in it. I watch. I watch uh, a lot of the highlights and and things like that. But uh, I don't catch every fight event. That's for sure. So on a Saturday night, what are you doing? Oh, I'm spending time with my family. Um, usually not watching the fights. <laughs> <laughs> and what are the other interests you, that you're talking about that, that, uh, um, that keep you from? Yeah, my other interests. Uh, I I I'm on YouTube all the time. Uh, I watch a lot of uh, a lot of stuff on like uh, Christianity, different preachers I like, and uh, just kind of podcasts on that, building faith and different uh, different subjects on that, uh, living the Christian life, uh, reading the Bible, going to going to church, things like that. So that's my biggest interest, you know, and my number one thing in life. Um, 
And then second, like my little hobbies, I like I like looking into like watches and like uh, stuff like that, just nerdy stuff like that, I guess. And uh, mostly spending time with my my girls, my wife, and my daughter. Yeah. So, so the Christianity aspect mm-hmm. um, has that been prevalent in your entire fight career, or is that something that you've kind of found in recent years? Yeah, uh, definitely recent. Um, I was I was raised Catholic, um, but never really had a relationship with Jesus um, until uh, until the last couple of years. And uh, I was baptized, and uh, you know, just I, and since I was baptized, even a little before, it's you know, I've it's been a it's a, a new road for me where I'm truly following and uh, improving every day and 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 growing in my faith and growing in my walk with God and and being a good man and the way God uh, intended me to be, you know. And what sparked that? Well, it started um, from my wife-to-be when we first met. She invited me to church, and I started going with her, hearing uh, the preachers uh, talk about it, and then slowly taking more and more of an interest over time, and then, you know, being more involved as time went on, and my faith growing, hearing it, hearing the Word of God being spoken, hearing hearing the church services and things like that, reading the Bible, and... Uh, Yes, yeah, so that's when, you know, uh, my faith grew and I, I trusted in God and I trusted as uh, Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and yeah. And is there an internal struggle at all, or a philosophical struggle between what you do for a living and your faith? Uh, at times, I've been convicted about it. Um, recently, um, I've, I've had some struggle with it, you know, but I feel. Um, I feel now that I'm in the position. The door, uh, this door, is open from God to, for me to be in this industry for a reason. Um, there is no other open door right now uh, on the horizon, like uh, at the moment of where I feel that God wants me to be. So I feel that I am positioned in this in this sport and in this spot in my life for a reason, and um, uh, I think it's my responsibility. To, responsibility to uh carry myself as uh as a a man of god in everything i do so um if it's you know to witness to people and in this industry and the people i train with or something like that you know i just gotta i have to uh i have to be that servant of god in everything i do so i feel like this is the door that's open for me right now and uh Whatever's, whatever door comes next, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, that'll be from God to lead me on that next journey, you know, because obviously fighting isn't forever. Now, when you're fighting, I mean, it is a competition. It's a sport. It's something you've trained your whole life for. Yeah. But at its crux, it's to impose your will on another human being, yeah. to hurt another human being, yeah. and to make another human being feel pain and, and loss when they lose. Yeah. How do you come to grips with that as, as a Christian? Yeah, um, I, I know exactly what you're saying. That's that's the conviction I felt, uh, um, you know, uh, is what I'm doing um, make God happy, you know. Um, so that's something that I wrestle with, but uh, it is the door that's open for me right now. And, uh, you know, I, I, I have to do my kindness to... Even though it's not something that's Christ-like, you know, the actual sport, I think everything around it I need to be uh, to represent myself as and be more like Christ in, in, in everything else that I do. 
you know but the competition is it's 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 brutal you know it's uh it's a contact sport where you're delivering damage and taking damage and things like that but um i think god can use people in every facet of life to speak to you know whoever it is that needs to be called now I'm uh, I'm not of the Christian faith. I'm Jewish, but I think that okay. religion at its core mm-hmm. has uh, a general principle where you're trying to uh, make people feel good about themselves and help people. And uh, one of the things that I always think about when it comes to mixed martial arts or pro wrestling or sports or any of these things is that every Saturday night or Friday night or whenever the event is, you're helping people that are suffering feel an escape. Like if if there's somebody mm-hmm. in the in the hospital that you know has terminal cancer something along those lines and they get something out of what you're doing right that's going to bring joy to them even though like i mentioned the crux of the sport is to hurt somebody do you think of, of it in that way as well um you know uh i i i don't i don't know i don't know like uh the reason why i started this wasn't to for any any other reason but to satisfy satisfy myself uh, my own interest in martial arts and then that um, release from whatever I had inside to that outlet, that self-expression. So now I've gotten to a point in my career where, you know, I'm pretty established. You know, I'm, I've won the world title now and I'm in these bigger, bigger fights and uh, and then recently became Christian. So I'm wrestling with all that, you know. But uh, yeah, it's 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 definitely an interesting place to be, and it's in that I'm I'm I'm, uh, I'm it's always on my mind. You it's know? Developing, <laughs> yeah, it's a developing story for sure. Uh, you're uh, you are now a father, as you mentioned, fatherhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, what has that taught you as a human being? Uh, it's it's been awesome. I, I always love kids, and I always wanted to be a father, so it's a dream come true. You know, I. I definitely didn't expect it to happen when it happened, um, but it changed my life for the better and set me in, it set me on this journey um, that I'm on now. Um, you know, the, my meeting my wife and where I was at that point in my life, um, it was on a totally different course, and I feel like God put me on this, like, crash course, like God's grace, you know. Um, really saved me from my own... My own uh, plan and my own wherever I was trying to take my life you know I feel like I was on looking back to hindsight 2020 I was on a crash course of destroying my life you know so God's grace came and uh, you know set me on a, a great path I have uh, I'm a father of a beautiful daughter I'm married now um, to my beautiful wife and she's pregnant with uh, our son on the way oh, in congratulations. August that's amazing so, life is good man I'm super happy so when you say you were on a crash course to destruction, yeah, destroying uh, everything I had built, you know. So what? What uh, can you elaborate on that? Yeah, it was just living a destructive lifestyle, and uh, and also I had a destructive mindset. Any relationship I was in, like like uh, with people, any kind of uh, friendship or any in, like interaction I would have with people, I would just release all the bad stuff that I had bottled up in me on them. So I took everything out on people and and also just did whatever pleased, you know, me in the moment and really just had no care for anything but pleasing myself. So having a daughter is, is really what the, the, that's where the fork in the road was, essentially. Uh, somewhat, uh, uh, for something. I would say uh, 
my relationship with God was the biggest fork, mm-hmm. to be honest. But uh, having a daughter played a big role in it too, because of the responsibility at hand. At when I, when my daughter was born, I I was believing in Jesus. I wasn't baptized or anything like that yet, but um, I was going to church and making positive steps in my life. But I knew while my wife was or my wife to be at the time was pregnant. Um, that I had a responsibility coming up and life was about to change. So I was making positive steps, but um, I didn't really, I didn't really totally get off that, that, that uh, path I was on until, you know, I really dedicated my life to, to Christ. And how old's your daughter now? She's uh, two and a half, turning three. In July, so a little over two and a half, but that's a pretty crazy roller coaster. I've, I've got three of my own, so I, oh, yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's yeah. very uh, it, it can be you know trying at times, but it's always uh, it's the most fulfilling thing you can ha- you can do is have a child, and uh, it brings more fulfillment to your life than I'm sure you you could have ever imagined until you've experienced it. Absolutely, um, like I said, I always wanted to be a father, and I wasn't ready in my mind when it came about, but man, I'm so happy, like. I couldn't imagine with life now without her. She's um, she's amazing. So what's your big motivator going forward in terms of remaining the welterweight champion and, and any other big things that you're looking to do from a career perspective? Yeah, well, um, I, I enjoy the competition. Um, I enjoy expressing my... that that passion inside of me when I'm, I'm you know, I'm shaping up against a guy, even in sparring. It's it's fun to like figure out that puzzle and to do that that cool move that you learned and to apply it in the way that you feel inside is the way to be done. So I still feel like that that motivates me when I'm having fun doing like in competition when there's a guy trying to attack me but I solve it with the that that piece that I was taught that I learned and and I'm able to to put it out there in the way that I feel it should be done. I find that really interesting and fun. Well, the remaining pieces of this puzzle are very interesting for this welterweight tournament because uh, John Fitch, very much a specialist in terms of his wrestling. Neiman Gracie, who you'll be facing if you defeat John Fitch, another specialist, crazy good ju- you know, with jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Uh, other side of the bracket, uh, Douglas Lima, who you've defeated in a very close, uh, close matchup. And then um, you've got Michael Venom Page, another guy who's a real specialist in terms of his striking acumen. Yeah. So these are all very interesting puzzles for you to, to approach. Sure. And that must be a really uh, you know, a, a big motivating factor as well, is trying to use your mind to overcome very, very specific problems. Yeah, absolutely. I think each one of them have has their own style, which is so cool. I like the tournament aspect for that reason. Uh, you know who you're up against next, kind of, in some kind of way. And uh, all the guys are different and very good. So I think it's great. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. When you left the UFC to go to Bellator, um, what has Bellator delivered to you that uh, you, you didn't get from the UFC? Um, and what do you miss about the UFC? Uh, well, Bellator, um, I got a much better contract financially with them, and when I when I was making the negotiation, that was that was important for me, and and, and is my main fa- factor for fighting. You know, this is how I provide for my family and stuff. So that was the biggest thing was the financial um, step up, um, and anything I miss about UFC. Um, 
you know, there's always that, uh, you know, when you're in the UFC, there's that spotlight that any other organizations don't have. Whether it's just or not, people outlook the champion of the UFC as the top dog, you know, um, because it's just, that's the public view. It's like, it's kind of like if you win the Super Bowl, you're the best football team in the world, which is true, you know. But with fighting, it's scattered everywhere. Great fighters are scattered everywhere. Um, but, you know, the the overall view is the the best fighters there in UFC. So that's something that kind of is like, meh, you know, it it it's annoying at times where it's like you don't might might not get that that respect. You're a bit forgotten. You know what I'm saying? Maybe not not um, because Bellator is on its way up, but a bit, and it's there. So I I that that I miss a bit, and also the organization. Uh, their staff is. They, it was like uh, they, my coach would call it the well-oiled machine. Everything from when you're at the airport to everything in between and going back home is just like smooth. You don't, as a fighter, you don't have to worry about anything. There's no stresses. If you want something done, it gets done. So that's uh, that's something that's a, an adjustment when you leave the the UFC. And what do you think of Bellator's growth potential? They're now uh, on the zone for a lot of the events, uh, Paramount Network for a lot of the other events. Do you feel like being uh, tied into the zone uh, is a good growth proposition, or do you think that that's a growth hindrance for the, for Bellator? Well, I think we're in an interesting point in our sport. The free TV models isn't working. Um, the ratings are going down apparently, and for everyone. So I think everybody's kind of scrambling to see what that next uh, platform is going to be. Boxing's doing the same thing. So um, I don't know the whole the whole like smartphone and streaming and all this thing. It's there's a lot of changes going on with technology and the way people watch sports in general. I think so. I think everybody's just trying to figure out what's going on and get their position themselves in the right way so the zone is interesting it's uh it's giving it's an it's a new it's a new uh strategy you know and boxing's going there and uh mma's going there so we'll we'll see we'll see what how this subscription model works out ufc's going espn plus now so it's interesting you've kind of always been on the cutting edge of technology and and uh, the things of the, of that nature, like with uh, cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency was was big for you and the the guys at TriStar when it was really uh, starting to make waves. Are you still involved in cryptocurrency? Because it seems yeah. like people are forgetting about it and yeah. are writing it off. And it's still those that are still in it know that there's still growth potential there. Yeah, yeah. I still I still hold my my crypto, and uh, the market is a bit slow and forgotten about at the moment. But I, like you said, I I I feel that there's going to be growth in that industry in the future but it's down the road and to be honest i'm no expert i'm just uh i'm a guy that got lucky enough to hear about it before it boomed in price but uh and when did everybody try to start buy bitcoin what was it at uh, i don't know what everybody but me and faraz were buying it in 2014 
Okay. But um, <laughs> so what are we talking here? Like when when uh, that was, was like in like under a hundred dollars, correct? Uh, I think it was around the two hundred okay. to five hundred dollar, six hundred dollar price, because it was it fluctuated at that point too, because it had went up to a thousand, I believe, in like two two thousand thirteen or fourteen. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the dates. And then but, it got all the way up to what, like twenty thousand, something crazy, right? Yeah, it, it's it has its waves, you know. So were you it, just taking some, getting out when you could, and then keeping more, and you know that kind of thing? Uh, no, I bought I bought quite a bit um, around that five hundred dollar mark, um, and just kind of held it. So you didn't get out when it was at twenty. Uh, <laughs> no, um, I wasn't in Bitcoin actually at, okay. at that point. I had uh, went off to. The, um, I don't know if you know about it, but Bitcoin actually split in two. Yes. To Bitcoin Cash. Mm-hmm. I preferred the Bitcoin Cash model. I traded all of mine. I went all in on Bitcoin Cash. Then Bitcoin Cash split, mm-hmm. and I traded all of that for the chain that I liked in B- um, Bitcoin SV. Okay. B- Bitcoin Satoshi Vision. Vision. So um, some people call me, you know, crazy for doing that, but I feel like. Uh, I have no risk at this point. I cashed out my investment, so yeah, that's what I was going to ask. I'm, you uh, cashed something out, I hope. Yeah, my invest. I'm. I have no investment in it. It's just uh, all my, it's my found money. All my yeah, <laughs> my gains. I guess I kept in, and so I'm. I'm enjoying the ride for what it is. So there's two re- retirements I want to ask you about. The yeah. First one is the news of the day. You found out UFC 189 with this gentleman, Conor McGregor. Right. Um, and I believe you trained with him a little bit, and he got injured. Is that, am I remembering that correctly? You trained uh, with him before 189, and he got uh, you know suffered a little bit of an injury, and then fought Chad Mendez injured. Yeah, I, I uh, there was an accident, but uh, he was okay. He fought. He fought through it. I'm embarrassed about <laughs> that. Uh, about that, unfortunately, uh, yeah. Well, he won. Uh, he shouldn't be too embarrassed. No, he did good. Uh, yeah. uh, he, he he fought through a, a tough thing, so you know I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy that it worked out for him in the end. <laughs> Do you think this retirement's legit? Um, I mean, when George I, retires I, at 37 or whatever he is, people can look at that and say, "Yeah, this is probably it for George." But when right. you're 30 years old and you still have your athletic prime, essentially, it yeah. seems like Connor's not getting out at the ideal time. Well, the retirement in combat sports is always a bit. It's like half like half hearted, I find, because it, the fight game always pulls back, pulls you in. It's an addiction, and uh, sometimes it's just better to pump the brakes. And instead of uh, constantly hearing when are you gonna fight next, it's just sometimes it's and also just for your own personal mindset to just say I'm not fighting. You know, I'm done right now. And then, you know, like you said, he's young. He's got a lot of time to just, like, take a, take some years to just figure out what is going on. You made hundreds of millions of dollars or whatever it is. Like, he needs to adjust, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, he came from nothing. So I don't blame him. I would need, I would need some time away to figure figure out what, what direction I'm going to take life, you know. Do you have an exit plan? Uh... No, but um, like I said, I'm waiting for that open door to see, uh, you know, that transition point. And, I'm, you know, I'm trusting God to, you know, to put something in line that, you know, that I'm meant to, I'm meant to go down. And uh, George, he retired. 
I think that's probably in the line for George. I know he said one day maybe I'll be out fishing on a boat and I'll get a call and I can spring into action like Superman. Um, and I think that's kind of the way George is always thinking. Uh, he, I don't think he likes closing any doors, in his mind at least. Uh, yeah. But I'm guessing you've seen George since then. You've chatted with George since then. Uh, what, can, what light can you shed on that decision from his uh, standpoint? And uh, do you think that this is you know, the end of the, the road for George's fighting career? Uh, competitive fight. I mean, competitive mixed martial arts career. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if he fought again. Um, but I also wouldn't be surprised if he didn't. <laughs> yeah, that's, that seems like George. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bad answer, but, like, he's he could. He could fight again. But I think it's very financial at this point. I mean, he's he's done his career. He's made his name. Um, I think if the right opportunity came up with for the right money... It would be worth it, but if not, you know, stay la vie and you know move on to the next chapter. He's he's made uh, a lot of money where he he him too. He he's financially comfortable to to take life in any direction, you know. So yeah. Well, you mentioned uh, the next chapter, but the end of this chapter is a pretty triumphant one. Winning a second title, Madison Square Garden, fans going crazy, uh, gets a finish in the fight, which a lot of people said he you know that he never really like to do. He liked to just grind it out for five rounds. Yeah. It's a really great way for him to end that book. Yeah. And I think that if there was another opportunity, he'd have to look at that and say, can I top what I've already done to end my career? Yeah, it really depends his, out, his outlook at that point. I mean, I know George is always training, and he's still really, really good, uh, as you could tell by the fight. But like even after that, you know, he's he's always making improvements. Even when he's he's not training competi- training for competition, he wants to improve himself. He wants to try the new best diet or what's the best uh, thing for me to try here. You know, we we have the same management, so I hear about like all these things he wants to be interested in and work on and get better. Um, so I think he's 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 programmed to always try to excel on the to the next thing for physical performance. He's just programmed that way, so. He needed to come back. I wouldn't be worried about him doing well. Absolutely, George is a he's a legend in the sport. It's really quite so, unbelievable. So you tried to do what he did recently. You went up to middleweight and tried to beat uh, Gegard Mousasi. Yeah, and you said you, that it felt like an out of body experience. Uh, I was a bit, I, I I was a bit frozen in there. Yeah. So uh, what happened, and and what do you attribute it to? Well, I think it's just a lack of focus leading up to the training camp. Um, I didn't train too hard. I went in a bit soft. Physically and mentally, uh, you need to be focused when you're training for a fight. It's uh, not just showing up at the fight and fighting hard, you know. And uh, unfortunately, it came out to be that. I know it's a, it was a huge opportunity. When I got it, I was really happy. But just the way life went at that point, um, I had some distractions in my life that took a bigger a bigger role for me. So I went I. I I did it half-hearted, and I don't think you should go in half-hearted against a guy like Gegard. Was there a time where you're thinking of of uh, withdrawing from the fight? Like, no. Were the, were the distractions that bad? No, no, not at all. I just because I'm so casual about fighting, I'll, I'll just I'll just fight. It doesn't bother me anymore. It doesn't stress me out to like get beat up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that sounds weird, but like. It does uh, sound somewhat masochistic, but sure. Continue. Yeah, like yeah, my <laughs> wife freaks out, like why I don't like get stressed out about that. But it's just, it's just a job. 
And uh, I guess I've just been doing it for so long. I guess I'm just a little bit numb to it. And training for it, I was like, it'll be what it'll be. I know I'm not. I knew in my mind that in interviews I was saying, yeah, I'm training. Training's great. But in my head, uh, I was thinking, you know, I'm going to go in there and I'll react to how I feel that night, you know, and it'll be what it'll be. But unfortunately, now I have to live with the fact that I basically got rolled over, you know. And I never had a fight like that in my life. Even my other fights that I've lost, I always gave good competition and a good fight. And this one, I just kind of got steamrolled. And uh, that's not something I enjoy looking back on, you know. I I always at least like to say, like, I gave it my best. I gave a hard fight. I let that guy know that... uh, he wouldn't want to fight me again. Like he, he, he wouldn't want to just fight me and know he could just walk through me. Whereas, uh, if you ask Gegard that, he would probably think he could do that to me any day of the week. You know, like uh, he probably felt probably felt like he fought a child. You know, so uh, that's not something I like to uh, to. I don't like to leave that impression. Yeah, I'm guessing that probably hasn't sit well with you since then, and that's probably what's renewed your focus for April 27th against John Fish is to show that that's not who Rory McDonald is. Exactly. It's a big part of it, yeah. All right, well, you can catch that on the zone uh, exclusively yourself. John Fitch, it's the welterweight Grand Prix, a great tournament. I mean, the welterweight division in the UFC is stacked. The welterweight division in Bellator is stacked. It might be the most, if you took every welterweight in the world, it's probably the most stacked division on earth today. So, And you're at the, at the forefront of it. Um, Thank you. It would be amazing to see uh, what some of the best welterweights in both could do. Like you mentioned, sometimes people underrate the skill level of Bellator because they think the UFC is the show. But mm-hmm. I think that there are a lot of different uh, divisions in Bellator where the champion could hang with, with the champion in the UFC. Right, yeah, I agree. Well, I appreciate that. All right, Rory, best of luck to you. Thank you, I appreciate it. Rory McDonald on the TSN MMA show. Thank you to Rory and uh, his team for coming in and uh, chatting with us. And we go from one Canadian from out west to another Canadian from out west. It's Kenny Omega. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Kenny Omega then you're probably not a wrestling fan because anybody who's a fan of wrestling and the whole spectrum of wrestling knows who Kenny Omega is because of his incredible matches over the years in, uh, in Japan and his reluctance to go to the WWE and to, to be part of what is considered the, uh, the biggest wrestling promotion out there. So I think that that is what makes him very unique, and that's kind of the focal point of... Uh, Omega Man, the documentary that's part of the Engraved on a Nation series here on TSN, airing Wednesday night. Check that out, and I'm sure that's going to be repeated uh, several times over the course of the week if you miss it. Look up Omega Man on your guide, and you'll find it. And it was really fascinating to speak with this individual because I think that uh, he brings an interesting perspective from kind of outside of our MMA bubble and uh, adds a little bit of his business and the difference between his business and uh, the business of mixed martial arts. So was very happy to speak with Kenny Omega, and here he is on the TSN MMA Show. We have a rare treat on the TSN MMA Show. He's uh, not in MMA, but might have been if the cards had fallen a certain way. He's the legend in the pro wrestling realm. He's Kenny Omega, and he's joining us here on the TSN MMA Show because uh, TSN is airing a fantastic documentary uh, that I got the chance to watch uh, from the Engraved on a Nation series called Omega Man about your life in, uh, in pro wrestling. And uh, one of the prevailing themes was that you wanted to keep it indie. You didn't want to go to the the big show, as they call it, the WWE. Right. 
And um, what we were talking about a little bit just before we, we started was mm-hmm. um, how the UFC is kind of similar to the WWE. People consider it the big show. It's very sanitized. It's very, um, you know, you know what you're going to get. It's predictable um, in terms of the, the presentation. And when you went to Japan, you got a, a lot of creative license. Is that what the big allure was for you? Uh, you mean in terms of why I wanted to go originally to Japan? Yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean, what you were hoping to do just with your career is to be able to you you approach it from a very different way than I think a lot of people do. Certainly, um, I guess for one, you know, I, I I don't just take I take things at face value, things that are told to me. When when you say you know you turn down the big show, you know, I hear the big show, and of course I've heard that 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 term you know tossed around here and there, and you know there's no denying that WWE is of course the biggest pro wrestling uh, promotion on the planet. Sure. Um, but do I consider it the big show? Uh, for me personally, no. Um, I, I feel that the biggest show for me, and and the show that I would most want to be on, especially you know when it came to the crossroads of deciding what I wanted to do with myself, I really wanted to perform at the Tokyo Dome. And um, to me, I, I felt that that would be the ultimate test of not only my pro wrestling knowledge and skill, but you know um, physically as an athlete as well. Uh, because um, you know WWE is uh, they they work a different type of style and uh, one at that point in time didn't lend itself to my uh, athletic abilities so I felt that to get the best version of of me you know I would have to go to Japan so that that's why I decided to go with with Japan wow geez uh, over ten years ago well this whole big show thing do you think it's a misnomer for pro sports like there's the NFL is the big show. The NBA yep. is the big show, uh-huh. and people tend to, especially in North American society, mm-hmm. carry over this this superiority complex with Absolutely. these specific leagues. Do you think that that, for whatever reason, has spilled over into both pro wrestling and combat sports? <sighs> for for pro wrestling, absolutely, and uh, I do, I do think though the the opinion is somewhat changing as time goes by. I think there's sort of like that age old, you know. WWE will always be the big show way of thinking. Um, but for people that are more sort of hip and in the know, they're realizing this sort of momentum shift. And sure, it may be the biggest show, but is it the cool show? Is it the highest quality show? That's when people start to put their thinking caps on and go, well, maybe not. And then who's the best wrestlers in the world? They start to list their top five, their top ten, and they're realizing that, okay, this this biggest promotion in the world doesn't have the bulk of of the of the of the top wrestlers in the world. The majority are from promotions aside from WWE. So then they start to really get to thinking that maybe the best wrestling promotion in the world actually isn't WWE. Sure, it may have the most funding and may be large in in terms of of size and scope, but is it the best? And is it the best for me? Which is the most important part, because um, you know I'm I'm in the business of making fans happy and just having a very dedicated, passionate fan base. So I I would rather have 50,000 very passionate fans, fans that are very excited to to watch the matches and watch the show and watch me perform rather than 100,000 people that are there to watch, you know, just a, just a popcorn night of, of, of fake fighting. You know what I mean? I think the internet has really helped open up those gates in terms of pro wrestling. I remember when I was a kid, I used to get those black and white wrestling magazines. Do you remember those? Yes, of and course. And they have the rankings in the back. And I still see, have like, them. Who's the great Muda? Who's Jeff Jarrett? This is before Jeff Jarrett came to the WWF then. Right, right. I, I was like, who are these guys? Because they're, they're ranked like number one 
in these in these wrestling rankings, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I have no clue who they are. I'm you know I'm a kid. I don't I watch television. I put on CHCH or whatever the local TV channel is that airs wrestling, yep. and that's how I you know consume the product nowadays. If you are um, I guess somebody who is of discerning tastes and wants to uh, have a different product than what is being pushed upon you as the mainstream product. You can yep. you can go outside of those borders, go online, go on YouTube, look up Loki and all of these different other yep. guys that haven't been in the WWE and uh, and learn about them. Now I don't know if Loki has been in the WWE since I last watched, but uh, really not. Yeah, so th- that kind of thing. You know, I the way that I consumed Loki is I ordered VHS cassette tapes off the internet. Nowadays yeah. you just go on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, like, I think what's important is that, you know, y- you like what you like, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have to like one certain product and then just dedicate your your life to to that brand, that specific brand. You don't have to you don't have to give your entire being to one brand. You don't have to, to have brand loyalty. And if if someone else likes another brand, that doesn't make them wrong. That doesn't make them bad. Uh, you know, we live in a world of digital streaming and, and uh, matches are available on multiple platforms so if you like all types of wrestling, you know, it's all up to you to just go out there and watch it. Uh, but if you like one more than the other, go ahead and enjoy one more than the other. It's a little different in the MMA world where, um, you know, you could make that argument, well, my promotion is better than your promotion because I think my guys could kick your guys' ass. And that was always sort of the interesting debate when, you know, Pride versus UFC. And I always thought that, you know, that's kind of not fair because it was smart on, on the on the part of USC, UFC to take their their best fighters in their prime at a young age and say, well, our fighters are better than your legends, you know, guys that were way past their prime and were used to fighting in a ring. And, uh, you know, for me, I, I thought that that was always a losing battle. And I was glad to see that some of them had a measure of success in the, in the octagon. But, um, you know, we never got the best of Mirko Krokov. We never got the best of of Fedor or Sakuraba. You know, it's, it's a shame. But, um, yeah. There was a time in your life where you had reached a crossroads, where you were thinking of going into the mixed martial arts realm. You had done jujitsu growing up, and I think had fared well in some regional tournaments, mm-hmm. from, from what I've read. Um, what almost brought you to that direction? So, um, you know, after I'd fallen out of love with pro wrestling, and that was mainly due to my my poor experience with um, WWE's farming system. You know, no no knock on that. It, it just wasn't for me, and uh, I had realized that that extreme business side of wrestling just wasn't for me. I felt that it sapped all my creativity. I felt that I was acting someone else's play uh, rather than act upon my own ideas. Um, and I and I wanted to kind of control my own person. And I felt that if this truly is the pinnacle of sports entertainment, and this is really the end game that everyone strives for and the one I should strive for, then maybe it's not what I should be doing. Maybe I should do something where I'm in charge of my own destiny and my own fate. So I thought, what better way to do that than to fight for real? Um, that way, you know, un- unless I'm getting paid to take a fall or take a dive, you know, you're really, you're you're fighting and you kind of, your skills and, and how much you train and, and how much you know um, and whether you're better or not is what decides whether you win or lose. And uh, I was a huge Pride fan and I loved not only how how skilled and how diverse the fighting styles were, but how they packaged the presentation of the fights. Um, you know, I'll, I'll go back, and I remember my first experience with watching Pride was uh, my friend kept pushing him. He's a pharmacist from a grocery store that I worked at, and he kept saying, you know, you got to watch this. you got to watch this. It's called Pride. It's from Japan. You're going to love it. And I remember trying to watch UFC when um, Ken Shamrock and Dan Severn went to WWE, 
and I tried to watch UFC 1 and 2, and I just hated it. I thought it was so boring. I didn't understand it. But he said, so I tell this guy, he says, I like pro wrestling. I know it's real fighting. I get it. I get it. But I, I really have no interest. He goes, no, no, no. There are guys here that represent the pro wrestling style, and they're doing great. And he was making reference to Sakuraba. So I thought, okay, yeah, let's uh, let, let's give it a watch. So he let me a tape, and I popped it in, and it was, um, it was, uh, geez, how long was it? The, the like, 90-minute fight with Sakuraba and Hoist Grace. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't fast-forward a minute of it. I enjoyed it from start to finish, and I loved it. And, I, and then, you know, I, I tell this guy, I said, I want more. And the next thing he, he gave me, because I, I became an instant Sakuraba fan, the next match he showed me was um, Sakuraba versus Carlos Newton, where there wasn't even one strike thrown. It was just grappling at its finest. And it, would have, it was just a beautiful, slick finish with a, with a knee bar from Sakuraba. And I thought, man, like, even if I stay with pro wrestling, I, I want to learn this. I want to study this. And it looks like it would be fun to train and, and applicable to my craft, too, in pro wrestling. Um, so I, I, I became a huge fan and I, I was starting to lean more towards the way of mixed martial arts and jujitsu, especially at that point in time. Cause I mean, I'd sort of, you know, I'd taken my licks in, in the wrestling ring. I didn't have to run the ropes anymore. I didn't have to fall on my back. I didn't have to learn any of those, but this whole new world of mixed martial arts was brand new and I was learning something new every day and it was fun. Um, there was the, you know, man versus man competition, which I really enjoyed I really felt I was competing against someone. And, of course, the most important part is you're competing against yourself because you want to learn, you want to get better. And um, I believe within, like, three months I was already competing. And uh, I took silver in my first competition. I remember that. And uh, had I gotten gold, I may have quit because I would have said, this is too easy. So getting silver was the best thing for me because it showed me that I couldn't just – I couldn't force my way using my own athletic background, my own natural skill, because jujitsu isn't about necessarily how strong you are, how fast you are. It takes technique and it takes time to develop that technique. And you can't fake your way through that training. You have to know. Otherwise you lose. And um, that, that, that caused me to double down on my training. And, uh, you know, I came back six months later and I was just doing like double gold, double gold, double gold. And um, I thought, man, okay, the jiu-jitsu part is down. And we had dudes that came in and they, they, you know, they took fights in UFC and I would roll with them. And, you know, I would, I would lose most of the time. I'd win every now and then. But it's like, man, if I can keep up with these guys, like I might have a future in this. And it was fun. And it was like, man, I wonder what high-class guy is going to show up today. I wonder if he's going to want to spar with me. And uh, it was something to look forward to every day. And, um, yeah, in, in the end, uh, even though uh, I decided to go the route of professional wrestling because I realized that when I was sparring, when I was training, when I was competing, I was always going for the flashy finish. And all my favorite fighters were like, were dudes that were into the showmanship. Like I remember near the tail end of my run, my favorite fighter by far was Genki Sudo. And uh, I mean, just there was never a dull moment watching a Genki Sudo fight. He was always super fun to watch. And, you know, my, my next favorite fighters from there were guys I could never be like. You know, I could never be like a Crow Cop. I knew that. Um, so I had to, to think about, like, okay, well, who who could I base my style off of? You know, who who is seeing success, you know, focusing on the ground game? And, uh, you know, Gank, Genki was one of them. He was great, great in the ground. And he had a very uh, unorthodox standing style. And... Um, I liked how he attracted attention and he inspired the viewers when they're when he when they're watching him 
Um, you know, of course, Sakuraba was great. I really enjoyed Sakuraba. Uh, uh, Minowa Man was another yeah, one I, I loved. Love, I love Minowa Man. Man, <laughs> the entrance got me every time. And I knew, like, Minowa Man wasn't great. But, you know, his heart and his passion for the sport, you could feel it every time he stepped into the ring. You know, he did the, uh, you know, the sort of, like, non-weight class fights. Yeah, he won the super heavyweight Grand Prix in exa- Dream. Exactly. Against Jose Canseco. Although he didn't get a chance to, unfortunately, face Jose Canseco. But yes. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, I mean, that, that was really cool. And, uh... Yeah, it was just it was that was a great time. I, I in my opinion, the the best time. I mean, I still get goosebumps every time I think about uh, you know the Yoshida Vanderlei Silva fights. I remember just being at the edge of my seat every time, and just seeing that you know there's this Brazilian killer just known for his insane stand up skill versus an Olympic level judo medalist, wearing still wearing the gi, and it's like these are the types of fights that I want to see, and I wish they still existed. And of course, you know they're in a way the sport is better for it not existing. Because, you know, now we have, you know, some all-round talents. Um, you know, one guy who I think is probably the best fighter possibly of all time, um, George St. Pierre. You know, and, and he, I, I can't pin down what his style is because he is so good at everything. And he made sure that he boosted his weaknesses to a level where they were no longer a weakness. And uh, I think as time goes by, you're going to see everyone just be an all-rounder. But then, by way of that, you can't differentiate one person over another. Um, that's sort of the, the double-edged sword of, of it all. Um, but and that's that's just how the world and, and humans evolve, I suppose. Well, the cool thing about the old times in Japan was it was very similar to video games. I know you kind of grew up on video games and Japanese culture. Yeah. And you're talking about one-on-one. Like, if you think of virtual fighter, they're different, or Tekken, or any of right. these. You'd see all these different styles and people that wearing costumes and all this other... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that kind of pageantry is gone in the UFC. It's very... They, I think they really tried to make the sport mm-hmm. more like a team sport, more, you know, uniforms, um, testing, yeah. all, all of these different of things course. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that they did to make it, I think, a more of a, a, a saleable commodity and they did sell to Endeavor WME IMG at the time um, and that's kind of the way they were packaging the sport but as a result of that you know there's a fighter named Angela Hill who uh, wanted to she's a big comic book fan mm-hmm. and she wanted to come out to weigh-ins dressed as Black Panther and dressed as different and they wouldn't let her because of this Reebok deal the Reebok deal was preventing them from wearing costumes and things of that nature wow. so that kind of thing is what I feel is missing from MMA that the pro rest that they could take a page out of the pro wrestling world and and learn a little bit more about because a lot of these fighters are making names for themselves at press conferences by wearing you know suits, mm-hmm, cool suits, and yep. and uh, talking trash and things like that. Where um, when you if you were to just turn on the UFC on ESPN, um, you'll see two people wearing the same thing, fighting in a similar fashion, yep. and and that's kind of where it's at now. And is that what what has kind of turned you off of the sport? Uh, I believe so. I mean, if you if you really dial back the clock, and I, I go back to the glory days of Pride, it's like. Not only did you have a difference of styles, an obvious difference of styles, but you know you had the way that they went about their promotional packages. You had the the long and uh, the real extravagant entrances, you know, which to me are still second to none. You had, you know, at times costumes, of course. You know, you, you sat grab always had something new to come to the table with. Um, Minimal Man, of course, always has something ridiculous to come out to. Dos Caras with the mask, of course. Yes. Yeah, Dos Caras uh, with a mask, and. Um, you know, you'd even have, you know, in the speaking back of Minowa Man again, just not that I agree with this, but just the the fact that you would have the matches that were, you know, just weight classless matches, open weight matches, which are real cool. 
Um, and, you know, Pride, I'm not even sure if he can do this in UFC, but the one-night tournaments were always super yeah, exciting. Yeah, they don't do it anymore. They you do it in kickboxing, but not in, yeah. Right, you can't do it in UFC. And, and that, that brought a different style of drama as well. Um, so, yeah, and now I feel like people generate, you know, their their heat. So not to use a pro wrestling term, but mm-hmm. they, it's fine. Yeah, they, they, they generate their heat with, um, you know, their press conferences, you know, whether they're being overly profane or... Okay, I'm just gonna throw a cheap shot, and I just I find that's just like it's it's kind of tasteless and classless. I mean, there's there's so many more entertaining ways to go about selling a fight. I feel, and how many times are you gonna go to that well? I mean, we're seeing it all the time. Guy yells at one guy, says a couple bad words, and then maybe takes a cheap shot, slaps him, and punches him. Big pull apart. It's happening all the time, and at this point, even I know it's fake for God's sakes. You know what I mean? There's got to be another way to go about it, and it just sucks that it's so one-dimensional now, and it can't get me interested in the fight, you know, via the promotional tactics. The fight itself, of course, can still be great, because at that point, once the bell goes, you never know what's going to happen. But I feel that the way that fights are being promoted and the way people promote themselves or are forced to promote themselves due to sponsorship deals, that has become boring. What have you thought of CM Punk's foray into the sport? I mean, he was uh, one of the biggest names in the pro wrestling world, comes over to MMA, and according to Anthony Pettis, his training partner who just won over the weekend, mm-hmm. he's still coming into the gym every day and getting beaten up and staying, it, staying yep. with it and, and staying at it. That's the thing. You know, like when you have a love for something, um, winning or losing almost doesn't even matter. Uh, and I, I actually hung out with Punk over the weekend, and he, he said almost what, you, what you've just said to me now, where... I just went to the gym, got my ass kicked, and I'm going to go again tomorrow, and I'm going to go the day after. And, you know, we did full 12-hour days on our feet uh, signing autographs for, you know, a bunch of cool cool people and uh, cool fans. But, uh, you know, he'd still make time to go to the gym. He'd still go make time to lift his weights. And, uh, you know, whether he's progressing or not, I, I don't know. I don't know. But um, he's he seems to be having fun with it, and it's still a passion of his. And, like, I watched his fights, and sure, I—, I, I don't I never grappled at a world class level. I never fought at a world class level. But I mean, I was pretty good, and I I do know that he doesn't get enough credit for his competency because he certainly was more competent than what people assume on the ground. It's just that you know, and and you hear it all the time. Game plans fall apart once you start getting once you start getting hit. It just happens. Um, it happens with everyone, and we're talking about top level fighters. They could have the greatest ground game, but once they start getting you know once fists start raining down or elbows start raining down just it's it's hard to keep your guard as tight it's 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 hard to work actively from the bottom because you're getting discombobulated from up top you know um i do believe that uh if if cm punk had a weakness you know it would have been of course in the stand-up and it would have of course been uh i don't think his cardiovascular ability was at the point where he was ready whether that have been because of uh his weight cut or just because he hadn't done it long enough. Also in his late 30s. Yeah. I was gonna, yeah, there's that too. And the thing is too, like, same goes for wrestling. I could run on a treadmill, you know, top speed for a freaking hour. And maybe, you know, a professional fighter um, or a professional wrestler, another professional wrestler, let's relate this to wrestling, can only do 20 minutes at half the speed. That wrestler might still be able to smoke me in the ring because it's a different kind of cardio that it takes to 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 work around the confines of a ring you're hitting the ropes you're falling on your back every time you do that there's a shock that gets sent through your body you have to pace your breathing you have to time your breathing the same goes for when you're fighting you have to be able to breathe right when you throw a punch when you throw a strike when you absorb a strike 
when you when you go for a takedown when you're in the clinch it doesn't it, there's not one constant breathing pace like when you're on a bike or a treadmill or a cross trainer and uh i think it just takes practice and and i know people had high expectations of cm punk because he was you know at one point the world's greatest professional wrestler but it's just such a dramatic change and he he wasn't a, a natural monster like how brock lesnar was he couldn't he didn't have that ncaa background that that brock had for one and he didn't have that freakish strength that brock had or size he was just a normal dude at a normal size who was probably fighting a weight class higher than he than he should have been and with with zero background so i i think for for someone going in with that kind of experience virtually zero and and taking on a ufc class fighter I mean, it takes it takes a lot of balls, and more more than what I would have. I would never. I would I would start small. You know, it's smart. I would I'd start local. Um, you know, but Punk, he's it's it's go big or go home for Punk, and I give him all the credit in the world for that. Uh, and I think I, I feel that he didn't get enough credit for the courage that he had to do what he did, um, regardless of the result. Dave Meltzer, who covers uh, wrestling, obviously first and foremost, also covers uh, MMA to an extent, but. He has the match ranking system where he rates things out of five stars. And if you go back and look at all of his five-star matches, there was one here or there. And then you look at the last five years, mm-hmm. and your name comes up so many times. And there's also the seven-star match yeah. that you have. When you see that, mm-hmm. how big of a badge of honor is that for you that he thought your match was so far and away better than any other match that's ever happened that he's given any sort of review for that he gave it seven stars? I mean... For the past three, four years, I've been wrestling for the non-wrestling fan. So I wasn't trying to appeal to the historian. So it was kind of really cool that not only could my matches, um, you know, reach the people that hadn't watched wrestling or fell out of love with wrestling, but I was still being appreciated by people that loved wrestling in its purest form um, and to to its highest merit as well. So for me, I, I just... I. I will never let a rating system sort of dictate how I judge my next plan of attack. And I, I won't really hang my hat on it, but um, it's an indicator that you're probably doing something right. <laughs> I mean, uh, it, by the same token, you know, Dave Meltzer gave me the 7, 6, 6.25, uh, 6, 6, you know, 5.5 a couple times, 5.75. You know, I've broken that scale a million times, but like, Matches that I was really proud of, he's given one star. Matches that I would show my friends and my family, I'd like, check this match out. And I might even show that one-star match over some of those six-star matches because I think they're more entertaining. So it just goes to show you that, you know, a rating system's great, and it does indicate something, something, but it doesn't indicate everything. So, yeah, that's that's my thought on that. So Omega Man, it's uh, engraved on a nation. Um, how much fun was it to make this uh, this film, and um, and how happy, you know, are you? TSN's a big network, obviously here in Canada. Uh-huh. Uh, you grew up on it out in Winnipeg. Um, how good is it to, you know, bring your name out to households that, like you said, maybe people who have fallen out of wrestling, like myself. I watched your, I hadn't watched wrestling really since 2003. I watched uh, you versus Okada yesterday, the one from 2018, uh-huh. and it blew my mind because I used to be really into pro wrestling back in the day. I used to go and watch Sabu and Two Cold Scorpio fight oh, like, wow. at like exhibitions, <laughs> exhibition place yep. uh, and things like that. So to, to really come back and watch um, and watch that, it was really a fresh breath of air for me because 
Um, I felt that the WWE was kind of going off. Once they absorbed WCW, mm-hmm. I used to love Nitro and Thunder back when it was really terrible. Like, me and my friends used to watch it, and, and we would love it so much because of how campy and weird it was. Oh, yeah. You're <laughs> talking about the guy that uh, I... One of my favorite shows were was WCW Saturday Night. Yeah, Saturday Night. Yes, yeah. yes. I mean, mainly because that was really the only place I could watch Glacier fights. So, mm-hmm. yeah, for that for me, I mean, the the campy gimmicks and stuff. I remember there's a guy called the Gambler, and he would do the the magic card <laughs> tricks and stuff. Um, there is a I can't remember what his name was is C J Putter or something like that. And whatever he he would bring out the uh, the the portable golf green, and he would do like the the Price is Right like hole in one challenge with a guy and. I think in the end he'd always hit the guy with the golf club, and I think it'd just be a quick little match. But it's stuff like that. Like that's what I kind of grew up on in the '80s, and uh, you know, I'm I, I don't I don't think it's dated to say that I enjoy that a lot. Still, I I still think pro wrestling should have that, um, just as much as I think it should have you know things that what you saw in the Okada match. I think there should always be a balance, and uh, you know, at, it it's like. I love watching horror movies. You know, horror movies are, are super fun, and a good horror movie, especially, is 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 great. But just because I I love that doesn't mean I always want to watch a horror movie every time I go to the theater. You got to mix it up sometimes. And also, bad horror movies are great. Exactly, and bad horror <laughs> movies are also very good too. So you're gonna want to always mix it up, and you really never know what you're gonna get unless you expand your palate. And uh, I mean, that's, I think that's always the name of the game, and in any sport or any form of entertainment. And unfortunately, even in competitive sports, you know, whether it be hockey, football, basketball, or mixed martial arts, yes, mixed martial arts, when you're punching and kicking a guy for real, um, entertainment is still paramount. And you have to think about the fan at home. And I think, you know, even UFC, you know, there's an emphasis um, with their talent, you know, try to keep it entertaining. And I think the fighters, too, you know, it's sort of gone are the days of um, Tito Ortiz, you know, where it was just takedown push him up to the cage, ground and pound, either they'd finish the guy via that or just wait until the round ends, win via points. Um, you know, most of the guys are, are trying to go for the exciting finish. Um, but I still think I still think there can be more done, you know? I still think there can be more. Um, and I like to look at maybe this period as sort of like a transitional point where I don't think we're gonna ever going to go back to the glory days of what pride was. But uh, you know, I, I when I when I do tune into uh, you know the the odd uh, mixed martial arts event, and it, you know, and there is competition now too, which is the thing. And, and I think that you know some of the, uh, for example, Bellator, you know, is kind of taking some some sort of tips from how Pride used to run their business, and they sort of you know ran tournaments or whatever with the sort of like character features, um, and and they drew good numbers. And that was because the people wanted to see the various styles and the personalities clash. Not just, you know, no one just wanted to see a sick knockout or a guy bleed or a guy die. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, the future's going to, the future's looking bright for every sport because everything is uh, sort of taking, making positive steps forward to evolve. Um, and it, we're seeing it again in all, in all sports, hockey, football, basketball, um, pro wrestling, you know, it, we're we're changing the game with pro wrestling again, and, and it's not like it, it's not this this geeky thing where you have to feel embarrassed to talk about it anymore. And like pro wrestling is now fun, and now fans of pro wrestling can be fans of mixed martial arts. You don't, you know, there, I remember there used to be a war. It's like you like one, or the, you like the other, and if you liked one, if you liked a pro wrestler, then 
well, I bet you can't fight for real. And, you know, if you like mixed martial arts, it's like, well, well you're a meathead. You know, it's, it's not like that anymore. <laughs> there's, there's sort of this, like, uh, at least generally, there's, uh, there's this camaraderie between the two where both, they both exist and both respect each other and um, both, I think, help push each other to take that next step. I, I find, uh, you know, WWE and, and uh, UFC are taking cues off one another. And, uh, you know, hopefully if uh, my new promotion, AEW, can get big enough, you know, maybe we'll we'll take cues from each other too and we'll just each push each other to become bigger and better for all of our fan base. One, one last thing I want to ask you is yep. that I said this to uh, somebody who sits next to me at work yesterday. Sure. I said the, the most dangerous sport is pro wrestling. Absolutely. And, and he looked at me like I was insane. He goes, it's fake. I go, well, wow. first off, it is a sport because the best always get to the top. Like people are still competing against each other, yes. even, if, even if the result yes. is whatever, predetermined. Everybody who's wrestling is still trying to be better than the other person uh-huh. to get to the, the absolute top of the sport. So that in and of itself makes it a sport. Yep. Um, and B, the amount of times that each individual has to compete per year. Yep is absurd like I, people look at pro football and and oh, how dangerous that is yeah. and they look at mma and how dangerous it is and maybe uh-huh. on a night-to-night basis you could make that case but over the course of a year i think that professional wrestling is by far the most dangerous sport as someone who has played wow i i, I can't say every sport but i mean a lot of major sports that are covered um and i was very good at, at all of them um, pro wrestling. I chose pro wrestling not only because I was a, as a, a lifetime fan as a child, but because I felt it tested me mo- most as an athlete and as a human being even because there's a lot of mental duress that you put yourself under. And I felt that um, it helped spark creativity in my mind because you not only have to, especially with the style that I created, you you, you have to not only do these incredible acts of physicality in this ring, because things have evolved so much. Um, the type of athletics and acrobatics that you see in a ring aren't like what they used to be 30 years ago. It's way different. But, I mean, same with fighting. It's, just, it's the same. That everything evolves. But on top of that, you have to keep in mind that it's a performance. And, um, you know, so to always be cognizant of how you're performing in front of this crowd or, you know, if you, if you have a script, for example, to make sure you stay on the script as well. And like you said, what people don't realize is that it's always a competition and that, People are out to get you, and they're out for your head. And you have to not only um, put forth your best performance, but you have to be kind of wary about the people around you that are gunning for your position. And by the same token, I mean, you could be the guy that's gunning for someone else's position, and it's do, it's based on your performances, the way that you sell merchandise, the way that you present yourself in front of a crowd. And most of the time, that's going to be based on how hard you push yourself whether it be in the gym to change your appearance aesthetically, whether it be because you're hitting the towns hard like no one else is on the road, you know, five, six nights a week, or whether it be because you're just the best big match guy that they have or a combination of all of them. You know, you add all that up and you've got over 200 nights a year where you're just killing yourself. Um, And there really is, it's a different kind of competition, but it absolutely is competition. And um, I mean... Mixed martial arts, you know, I've I've had a ton of grueling training sessions, um, and it's I don't even think it's fair to compare either one because they both they both can be grueling at times and they both can be brutal, Um, but 
I mean, to dispel one or, you know, just to, to say one isn't a sport or one is just fake. I mean, I, I thought we were kind of moving beyond that by now. I would just make the assumption that your friend that sits beside you probably has never played a sport in his life, is, is my guess. He certainly hasn't wrestled. <laughs> yeah, he certainly hasn't wrestled. Yeah. He may have played some ping pong at some point in time. <laughs> All right, Kenny. Well, thank you for this. I appreciate it. And great donation uh, Wednesday night on TSN. Uh, fantastic, fantastic uh, documentary on uh, on your life and uh, your um, evolving uh, life in wrestling, which continues to evolve with AEW. So uh, congratulations on that. And uh, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. That was the Omega man himself, Kenny Omega. Really love speaking with him. Well, I think he might have taken exception to that last question, but uh, oh well. I you know it's it wasn't not my opinion. I don't, I don't think wrestling's fake. I'm not one of those people. I I know what these people put into this business, and uh, it's, it's you know blood, sweat, and tears for years and years and years, and that rhymes, and that was unintentional, but it sounded cool. Tomorrow, Joe will be with me, Joe Valtellini, talking about uh, the more technical side of the sport talking about all the latest news stories, and uh, we'll be giving our picks for UFC in Philadelphia, recapping our picks from UFC in Nashville, and uh, recapping the uh, unbelievable finish by Anthony Showtime Pettis and the strategy for that fight that Joe has been really at the, uh, you know, kind of a pioneer of the idea of how to beat Showtime, uh, sorry, uh, not Showtime, uh, Wonder Boy, Stephen Thompson, and uh, that strategy was very much employed by Anthony Pettis, and we'll talk about that tomorrow. Uh, thanks to... Donald Cerrone, Raging Ally Akinta, Rory McDonald, Kenny Omega, and you, the listener, for listening to these four uh, very, very in-depth interviews. I hope you enjoyed them. Would love to hear your feedback. You can get me on Twitter, at Aaron Bronstetter. Always appreciate any feedback on the show. And uh, if you enjoyed the show and you don't subscribe, please do subscribe. Leave reviews on iTunes. We always appreciate that. So thank you for tuning in to the TSN MMA show. We'll be back tomorrow. Myself, Joe Valtellini, talking about the latest news in the world of mixed martial arts. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.